Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Firing a shot on rebound, and right in the middle of the ice. Is I a follow? The Kings put it in, and they take a one nothing lead. Drop it off. Shot in. They've scored. The Los Angeles Kings put it to the back of the net on the rush up ice as they sweep it past Jordan Bennington. Well, despite the injuries, they have come down to the wire, and unfortunately, though, the Blues are in one heck of a tailspin. One five and one in their last six games at home, and the St. Louis Blues have lost three games in a row and four of five. Injuries are a problem, Joe, but at some point I think you also just have to hang it on the power plate. All right, so our pep talk really didn't work. I thought it was going to work, Alex. I was excited for the game last night. We played Ed Reed's pump-up speech. Describe not working. Uh, Not scoring. Oh, okay. Not scoring goals. Hey, they scored a goal. Scoring goals before the last three minutes of the game. Then it didn't work, no. So the Blues had zero rebounds created. Zero rebound shot attempts at five on five last night. That is according to Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. They were solid defensively for most of the night. But Alex, what in the world is happening to this Blues offense? I know that we can explain some of it. Some of it 100% can be explained by the injuries. I cannot explain all of this, though, by the injuries. What's going on? Well, in terms of five-on-five offense, I think you can explain it from the injuries because you're trying to create five-on-five offense with Austin Pagansky on the third line, with Jacob De La Rose and Mackenzie McEachern on the fourth line. Well, what about Shin Kairou and Hoffman or O'Reilly Perron and Blake? I think you're seeing a group of guys that, one, are gassed because they're being played 24 minutes. And look, I understand they're pro athletes and they should be there, but when you're in a game and your third and fourth line guys are playing seven, eight, nine, ten minutes, and your top guys are playing 23, 24 minutes, there's going to be some fatigue factors that set in. But I really think the confidence is shucked on this team. And I was thinking about this last night on the post game. I can go back to the 18-19 season at the beginning of that season, BK, and everyone was expecting that team to be awesome, right? Everyone was expecting that team to be the best in the league. And they were losing. And it wasn't that they were losing bad games. They were playing well but they were losing and the heads were dipping. As soon as a goal would go in, it would be, oh my God, are you kidding me? This is happening again. 
Last night, that felt like it for me. Marco Scandella takes a puck to the face. Murphy's Law right now. When something's going to go wrong, it is damn sure going to go wrong. Heads dipped. That first goal that went in. If I'm a Blues player and that first goal goes in, I'm pissed off. Because I, the, the, I we were the better team in the first period if I'm a Blues player. They, Without they were. question. Absolutely. In the second period, they were the better team. Until that puck went down. The shot off of Bennington and Justin Falk tried to clear it and cleared it into the net. Murphy's Law. If something's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong. So on one on one aspect of this, I can I can point to the injuries. But Curbs is right. If you're going to blame anything right now, it's the power play. You're 3-6-1 and one in your last 10 games, BK. And in those six losses, four of those six were dictated by the power play. Other than one game... In your last six losses, they've all been one-score games. And that one score would be multiple power play opportunities. And your four losses, the last four losses that you've gone through, you're 0 for 10 on the power play. Oh, In your two wins, you're 3 for 8. So if you're going to blame anything right now, if you're going to point to someone and say, what is going wrong with this team? It's the fact that the power play is not scoring. When the power play is not effective, heads dip, confidence gets lost, five-on-five play gets affected, and I think that's where this team is at right now. Yeah, four. you mentioned the numbers, four for the last 35. They had zero high-danger scoring chances on their power play last night. I mean, that can't happen, especially you're so short-handed. And I get it, that second power play unit maybe not as loaded as that first one, but then the first one has to step up. You can't. The power play is what's going to carry you through these injuries, and the power play hasn't done it. So that's that's the biggest thing for me on the Blues. I get it. Five on five, I thought they were okay. I mean, they're not going to – they may not beat anybody five on five right now just because of their lack of depth currently, but the power play has to be better. The power play is going to dictate whether or not you're a team that's going to get points during this stretch. That stat you just gave is Mm mind-blowing. 0 for 10 on the power play in their last four losses. You're basically getting two or three opportunities on the power play where you're a man up – the definition of the power play and you're not taking advantage of it right now and if look you, at those power plays too, bk at the timing of it it's a zero zero hockey game or it's a one nothing hockey game one goal the blues are right in that game if you can't take advantage of that right now this team's not going to be able to overcome the losses of their obviously hugely significant players that are out of the lineup i agree randy Carricker shared this stat with me earlier today Jaden Schwartz should not be the end-all be-all of your team. He shouldn't be. He is not a $10 million a year player. But for whatever reason, he kind of has been for the Blues. As he goes, they go. The old Dexter Fowler thing with the Cubs, you go, we go. That's been Jaden Schwartz for the Blues. Over the last four seasons, four seasons in total, the Blues are 129, 69, and 24 when Schwartz is in the lineup. 129, 69, and 24 when he's in the lineup. So basically, you're 60 games above 500 with him out there. When he is not in the lineup over the last four seasons, the Blues are now 14, 22, and 7. You are 15 games below 500 when Jaden Schwartz is not in your lineup. Again, Randy Carricker looked that up. Huge thanks to him for doing that research for us. Schwartz is a is a vital component to this team. I get that completely. He should not have that big of an impact. Your team should not go from one of the best in hockey 
to a legitimate bottom 10 team in the league because you lose that guy. It can't be that bad. And if it is, oh boy, we've got some questions to ask about the rest of this roster. You can't be that reliant on any one player. It shouldn't be that way. You know why it is though, BK? Because he is a puck hound. He is a workhorse. He is a four checker. The same can be said about Ivan Barbashev and Oscar Sundquist. Go back the last couple of years and look at without those guys in the lineup. The Blues struggle. If you take a guy who is the the spark plug, the energy guy, the guy who is going in on pucks, he is forechecking like crazy, he knows his role and he plays it to a T. If you lose that player, who's stepping up into that spot? Think about it. You lost Schwartz. Who's who's that puck count now for the Blues? Mike Hoffman? Well, he's not performing there. Who's that puck count on the top line without Ivan Barbashev? It should be Sammy Blay. Not doing it. Although Sammy had seven hits... Zero shots on goal. Yeah, and he's he's a different type of a player. Like you you mentioned the hits. He's he's very physical. We've seen that, and that's frankly been part of the problem. Like he just can't stay in the lineup because of right. his health. It's kind of amazing that right now they're ravaged by injuries, and Sammy Blay is the model of consistency with health. <laughs> um, but he's a guy that is going to get involved in the four check, and he's definitely a guy that'll hit some defenders, but that doesn't do anything for your offense. It's, yeah, it's different than the puck retrieval and then putting it into the dirty areas for your right. offense. He's not the guy that'll do that so much. Well, and that's the thing. You don't and you don't have one of those guys on the second line right now. No, you don't. The guy doesn't exist. You don't have players that are puck hounds that get the puck for you and create that offensive consistency. Look at the first period last night. Blues had it. They were the better team. They hemmed the Kings into their own zone. Problem is, they were doing that in the second period until the power play didn't score, and then the Kings score, and then heads dip. You don't have that Jaden Schwartz that comes off of the bench and says, guys, this is a one-goal game. Let's go. Let's get into this. How do they not have anybody that, like, Braden Shin has to be that guy. He he is that guy. But it's got, but you have to get everyone to buy into it. And right now, that's the Blues' problems. And I think that's part of it, too, when it comes to the injuries. This is why it always goes back to a former BK. You got to have, it's not just guys on the ice that do it. It's guys that are in the locker room that gets everyone to join in for it. And if you think about who you've lost, Carl Gunnarsson's one of those guys. Jaden Schwartz is one of those guys. Ivan Barbashev is one of those guys. Vladimir Tarasenko is one of those guys. Curbs and I talked about it last night. On the defensive side, you have two guys remaining from that Stanley Cup run in terms of defense that are the familiar faces that you want to go out there for and play hard yeah, with. Don and Bortuzzo. That's it. So you have no Pareko right now. Obviously no Petrangelo, no Bo Meester, no Joel Edmonds, and now Carl Gunnarsson is gone. The injuries aren't just impactful in terms of the guys on the ice. It's impactful for the guys in the room, and I think that's part of the reason why this confidence has been so shook right now. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I also want to hear from you today on the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. I feel like this is what the mic drops were made for. Was a day like today? Because there's a lot of frustration for Blues fans with what we've been watching recently. And I think fairly so, justifiably so. I am very curious from you guys. Where are you at on this team right now? What is your level of frustration? And maybe most of all, how are you assigning blame for what's taking place right now? Is it exclusively the injuries? Is it 50% injuries, 50% the guys that are on the ice right now? Do you blame the coaching staff? Where, Where is the blame right now for what is taking place with the Blues? It's 11-13, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I want to answer that for us coming up next and hear from the audience as well. 
What's the reasonable level of frustration? Because I know you heard this last night on the post game show and on your Twitter account, Alex. Yeah. There are some unreasonable things being said. We'll talk about where we should be with the Blues today. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. hope maybe they can go out there and take advantage of a, of a Anaheim team that has struggled a little bit because your man Brandon that road trip you're gone for 11 days the longest one of the year you're coming home for two which is a back-to-back against Vegas and then you're gone for another seven or eight so I mean I, I think a lot of your season success hinges right now on uh, pretty much the next two weeks uh, three two and a half weeks of hockey not a great start to that stretch that Chris Kerber told us about yesterday here on the show with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. All right, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Also, you can always get involved in the show via the Rhino Shield mic drop feature, which is on the 101 ESPN app. That is free to download. You should do so. What's reasonable right now? What is a reasonable level of frustration with this team? Because I think we're all we're all reaching that boiling point of, okay, come on. Come on, we watch these games and you get to the middle of the second period and you're waiting for that other shoe to drop where things are going to go south for the Blues. That being said, I think there are obvious things to be able to point to and say, that's why we're here. For me, Alex, I put down my blame chart, if you want to call it that, of putting percentages on what I blame for where the Blues are right now. 60% of it for me is the injuries. That is the main reason why we are here today. Not having Vladimir Tarasenko, Colton Pareko, Jaden Schwartz, and we can go off through the slew of others. That's the main reason that the Blues have struggled recently. But it's not the exclusive reason to me. You also need your veterans to step up. Braden Shen needs to play better. You need more out of Jordan Cairo. Mike Hoffman has to be better. David Perron was amazing on the power play last year, and we're not seeing that same success this year. You need those guys to play better. So 30% for me is from the veterans not playing well, and 10% of it is what you talked about in the first segment. It's confidence. They have none right now. You can feel it exuding off of them. They're leaking confidence even in their post-game interviews right now. Mm -hmm. It's weird to watch. This is not the same Blues team that I'm accustomed to. So for me, 60% injuries, 30% the veterans that you expect to play at a really high level, not playing to that same level so far, and 10% of it is just confidence to me. I I think that's a really good way of looking at it. I would put the injuries at about 60, somewhere between 60 and 70% because, look, it's not an excuse anymore. It's it's factual. The injuries are impacting this team. I don't even say Vladimir Tarasenko in this conversation because the Blues were playing without him. They've been playing without him since last season. Um, But it's, it's kind of the trickle-down effect, and I think the injuries tie into the confidence because it feels like everybody is leaving and then you just have nothing else to go with. So I would put that at about there. I frankly would put about 25% on the power play because when the team's power play scores, they're winning hockey games. When they are going scoreless, that's what's impacting that confidence and just falls apart. I, I, I'd i like to put some some... I think you have to put some blame on the players. I don't know if I'm putting more than 5 or 10% on the players in terms of them needing to play better because, again, I'm getting games like last night where 
if that was the other way, if that was a 2-1 game in favor of the Blues, we'd be talking about how impressive of a feat that was. Craig Berube said it after the game, and I really liked his comment because somebody asked, are you concerned with just the the will of these players right now? And Craig Berube interrupted him and said, I never questioned this team's will. I never will. I get that. He has also come out publicly after multiple games this year and said their compete level was not high enough. Now, that didn't happen last night, and Berube's really good at this, and that he will read the temperature of the room. And if he feels like he can say things publicly that he needs to get across to his team, he will do exactly that. Again, he's really good at knowing when he can and cannot say those kinds of things publicly. Last night was not one of those moments. That was a down night. You could hear it in Ryan O'Reilly's voice after the game. You could feel it in Tory Krug talking about how they are kind of uh, they're grabbing they're gripping the sticks a little too tight right now. Mm-hmm. You can feel it coming off of them. I think it's fair to say that there are there are moments when it's like, man, why isn't anybody at the net? Where are you guys right now? And that that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. It's it's not that Braden Shin's been bad this year. He hasn't. He's been really good. Jordan Cairo has had a breakout season. Ryan O'Reilly has still done the Ryan O'Reilly things that we expect. But when you have all of these guys that are out, we always talk about it as next man up. And there's some truth to that. It's also your best players have to elevate their game even more. I think you can make a case Jordan Bennington has. Now I need the rest of the team to follow suit. And so... I hear you. You don't want to blame the guys on the ice too much. I think there has to be some blame that is taken by those guys. They also need to play better. Yeah, they do. But for me, it's not so much these guys aren't playing with that compete. They are. It's they're not playing as a team. That's the part that gets me more than anything right now. You have a group of guys, in my opinion, that are trying to save this team themselves. They care about each other more than anybody can believe. And I've talked about this with Darren Pang. We had him on a couple of days ago. These guys are a very tight group still. You can't question that. I think the problem is you have Ryan O'Reilly going out there and trying to do everything he can to save the game. Listen to his post-game press conference. All he says is, this is on me. I need to be better. Braden Shen, this is on me. I need to be better. Ryan O'Reilly had zero shots in that hockey game last night. That's a that's a rare occurrence for a guy who is a top centerman, somebody who is always on the ice. So I get it. They There is blame that should be placed on them, but I think this is more in terms of the chemistry, and I'm putting a lot more blame on the injuries and the power play than I'm going to go individual players and say they need to be better. That's fair. Uh, I, I would disagree with it, but it is, a, it is a fair place to come at. Let's hear from you guys. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. Let's start out with Devlin. Hey, guys. My frustration level with the Blues is mostly oriented in the bad luck injuries it is what it is but then there's a larger frustration with players like Sanford who just seem to stand around and cough up a lot of pucks and the lazy play by some of these guys who should be grasping their chance and running with it that's a fair one Sanford's one that I have been really frustrated watching lately because like I I brought up the names of the best players on the team. It's not that they're playing poorly. They're they're still playing well. It's just not, they haven't raised their game another level with all of these guys being out. Sanford's somebody that just hasn't been playing very well. And you, I would have thought, I mean, you talked about this yesterday. I would have thought he would have been somebody that made a lot of sense on that top line with O'Reilly and Perron. He can't put him up there right now. Well, he got a shot last night. And he's just not, I mean, look, this is this is part of the problem with the injuries, BK, because you're expecting Sanford to be a 20-goal scorer for you, and right now he's not 
performing at all. I think Sanford's peak is going to be a third line winger for you. And right now that's his role, but he's trying to do too much, but, but I get, and I think it is a fair analysis of this team because look, it's not just Sanford. It's other guys. I mean, Sammy Blaze getting an opportunity right now to be a top six winger and he's not performing the way that the blues need him to Um, Austin Poganski getting an opportunity. Does he deserve the opportunity right now? If frankly, if this team was healthy, I think he's playing in the AHL. But he's getting the opportunity. You have to take advantage of this opportunity. And right now, they just blues have individual players that aren't grasping that uh, desire um, to be an NHL player at this point. Let's hear from Nick on the Rhino Shield mic drop. I think a big problem for the blues that no one's talking about and is underestimating is the just the physical size that we lost. Petro and Bo Meester were, you know, 6'4, 220 plus pounds, and we replaced them with guys who were 5'9. A buck 80, buck 90, you know, Falk, Tory Krug, Vince Dunn are smaller guys. And when you're battling in the corner and trying to get the puck out of your own zone, that size and that reach is greatly missed. And I think it's very underestimated. The Blues are lacking an identity right now. Remember whenever it was, this was in the time when, uh, when right before they had hired Craig Berube, or before they made the coaching change, really, and you still had Mike Yo in charge. And a lot of people were asking at that point in time, hey, what is the identity? Are you trying to go fast? Are you trying to still play this physical style? You're kind of caught in between. You're no man's land. That's what it feels like the Blues are in right now. And it's not because of Barubi. It's not because of what the, the coaching style is. Vladimir Tarasenko is a heavy player. He is tough on the puck. He's like 220 pounds. They call him tank for a reason. Tyler Bozak is a heady player, a strong player. Jaden Schwartz, as you said earlier, is a puck hound. Ivan Barbashev is a dude that is going to go down there and be a puck retriever for you. Gunnarsson and Pareko are strong on the back end of things. When you lose that many people that are that significant in what is the identity of your team, yeah, that's a really big deal and maybe something that I'm not giving enough credence to, um, but that that's a big part of this. That's a big part of why when you flip on the Blues game last night and you get to the middle of the second period and you're wondering to yourself, who is this team that I'm watching? Mm-hmm. That's why. It's because it's it's not even recognizable because the players that you recognize aren't out there right yeah, now. Yeah, if you think about it again, this goes back to that chemistry that we've talked about and having guys out there who you can trust and you know what's going to happen and look at the players that you don't have right now. I mean, let's just take the top six, for example, BK. You got Sammy Blay who's been a part of this team, but he's been an in-and-out player. Mike Hoffman, first year with a team. Jordan Cairo, with a team, but in and out of the lineup. Three of your top six are new faces, and then your bottom six. I was about to say, you can even extend it further than that. Your bottom six is one guy. Your bottom six is Oscar Sundquist. And Sanford. And Sanford, but Sanford, uh, he's more of a top six player. So it's been back and forth. But yes, you have a familiar face there. That's two out of six. I mean, whether right. we want to include him or not, it's, it's a third of the guys and that then, are on your bottom six. And then right your now. defense, you have two guys that are familiar faces. So right now, for me, it's like a it's like a kid with that loses his favorite toy, right? That's this Blues team right now. Like, you're without it, and you don't know what to do without it. Oscar Sundquist is without Ivan Barbashev, who's kind of like that one-two punch on the fourth line. T- Tyler Bozak's away from that third line, where a Sammy Blay has been playing, and you have that veteran leadership. Zach Sanford's playing off of that O'Reilly line. He's moving down to a third line with Oscar Sundquist. You have these players that are playing without their their go-to line mates. 
where that chemistry is where you can go to the bench and talk about what happened. Right now, you have guys going to the bench and saying, hey, what were you trying to do here? And it's two mixed messages that are going back and forth. Yeah, it's a tough spot. It, it really is. And I, I I think that they should still be better than this. I mean, you're you're in the... I know that the Kings are a better team than I probably gave them credit for, but I feel like I've been saying that after every series now. I, it, it can't just be every team is better than I expected them to be. At a, at a certain point, it becomes what you are. It's a reflection of you as much as it is a reflection on the opponent. And I think we're starting to see, okay, was that about the Coyotes or was it about the Blues? It might have been as much about the Blues as it was Arizona in that moment. You can't keep making opposing goaltenders look like Martin Brodeur. Exactly. Look, I get it. Darcy Kemper's a better goaltender than what we give it to. Um, Same can be said about a Calvin Peterson. But these also are guys that you should not be allowing going out there pitching shutouts against you. Cart Kemper gets one. Jonathan Quick gets one. Martin Jones barely gets one. And Calvin Peterson almost has one. You got to make it harder in front of them. Last one here from the Rhino Shield mic drop. Let's hear so where's that hidden guy that comes in the slot and cleans up the garbage? I haven't seen it. Shen, maybe stop letting the puck bounce over your stick. Come on, really? By the way, this is the NHL. You might only get two quality shots you have to make sure that they go in, not ring them off the post, but stuck them under the bar. And that hasn't happened. And to that point, again, sharing the I saw from JR last night, the Blues had zero rebounds created and zero rebound shot attempts in five on five last night. That can't happen. That, that simply cannot happen in any game against any team for this Blues squad. It goes against everything that they are fundamentally built upon. And so when that happens in a single game, I think that tells you everything you need to know about it. We do have one more text that I want to get to from the 618 guys. Guys, y'all are crazy. Relax. They have a ton of injuries playing in a really strong division. I don't ever want to hear about anybody saying maybe it's the coach ever again. Don't feed that to this fan base, please. I don't think it's Craig Berube. I want to make that very clear. We saw it last night. I know, Alex, you heard it from people. This is not a Craig Berube problem. Now, did the Blues have the greatest plan going up against that 1-3 zone, uh, 1-3-1 zone of the Kings? Maybe not. But this isn't a Craig Berube problem. This is, I I mean, I went into my, how I assign blame, 0% went to Craig Berube. I'm not in the least bit worried about him. Yeah, real quick, I can get on a soapbox, and I know we got to get out of here for a break, but first let me apologize to my guy Drew on Twitter last night because he sent me the tweet saying, is this a coaching change? And I had to quote tweet it because I was curious if Blues fans were in this area. And I think about 100 comments basically just said, bleep no, and we're taking shots at Drew. That's not at Drew, so I apologize about that. But look, I didn't even bring up the the name Craig Berube or this coaching staff because this has zero to do with the coaching staff. David Perron told a great story to Curbs the other day, and he talked about it on the show. Last year, Alexander Steen in the in the um, in in the team meetings where they were talking about the power play and their struggles, people were questioning Mark Savard and saying, "Well, what's this guy doing right now?" Kind of like they're doing with Jim Montgomery. Steen stood up and told the team, guys, this has nothing to do with the coach. This is all on us going out there and performing. I think people have this misconception of what coaches do for the Blues. They're very important. They put the game plan together. They make sure that guys are motivated and ready to go. But when the puck hits the ice, all Craig Berube is doing is telling who go to, who, who to take the ice and go out there and perform. This is all about performance from the individual players. This has nothing to do with a coaching staff or a game plan or not buying into the system. This guy won a cup two years ago. This guy was first place in the division last year with this team. 
This has nothing to do with the coaching staff. And frankly, if you're saying that, you are not understanding hockey right now. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I I don't even think that we need to spend any more time on it. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, let's continue our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season with our second outfielder on the list. We'll tell you who that is coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And now the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season. Yeah, there's a 40 man roster, but we sort of started late. It's BK and Ferrario. Number 17, Lane Thomas. And Thomas hits a drive. Lane Thomas comes in at number 17 among our most important Cardinals for the 2021 season. At number 20, we had Justin Williams. At number 19, we had Edmundo Sosa. At number 18, it was Genesis Cabrera. And now we have arrived at number 17 on our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season. Lane Thomas is important, guys. And it's a real question to me as to who's going to win that left field job. We've talked about this a million times over at this point. Who, who's going to win that job is probably the one main roster battle right now. In terms of starting jobs, we know what the rotation's going to be. There's no questions on the infield. Center field's going to be Harrison Bader. Right field's going to be Dylan Carlson. Can Lane Thomas overtake Tyler O'Neill to win that left field job? That, to me, is why he's so important. Is because we've seen Tyler O'Neill have his struggles. If he has them again, Lane Thomas is going to need to step up for this team. Yeah, I had Lane as 19th on my list. And for people that know Peek Behind the Curtain, all three of us did a different list, and then we averaged them out to where the player falls, which puts Thomas at number 17. I think he's impactful too, just like Justin Williams is going to be impactful. And I think it's a race for that fourth outfielder spot. I think right now on paper, Tyler O'Neill has that position locked in. It's a matter of if Tyler O'Neill doesn't perform in spring training and Lane Thomas does, that's where it's going to take. But that fourth outfielder spot is crucial in my opinion, because he's going to be the pinch hitter for you. He's going to be possibly that platoon bat with Harrison Bader. I know Mike Schultz doesn't believe in platoon bats, but you're going to believe in matchups yeah, though. It's you're going to totally see different. it at some point. <laughs> um, so, so for me, it's, it's that competition for that bench spot between Lane Thomas and Justin Williams. But more importantly, it's following up with what the expectations have been placed on Lane Thomas by John Mosaic and Mike Schilt. They talked about Lane Thomas a couple of years ago where they had him and then they didn't have him in the postseason. Let's hear from John Mosaloc. This is what it sounded like after the 2019 season, talking about how Lane Thomas was missed. In hindsight, I think we really missed him in September. He was someone who was just taking that step forward. Obviously, gives you a very good at bat. He he is more to contact type hitter, does have some some power. And he's someone that I think can play really anywhere in the outfield. So it gives you a lot of flexibility. I mean, from the way that John Mosellock presented that, this guy was a integral bat for this offense if they want to continue moving forward. And so I'm going off of those expectations. I don't know if I'm putting them that high on Lane Thomas, but he's he's got the potential of being an impactful bat off of the bench for the start of this season. 
and then becoming an everyday outfielder if he outperforms a Harrison Bader or a Tyler O'Neill. So this is why he's important to me. I'm not going to lie. He didn't make my list. No, he did not. Lane Thomas didn't make your list of the 20 most important Cardinals. Can can we give the list of of players that didn't make T-Bone's list real quick? Matt Carpenter, I think we all can agree with. I don't think he's on all of our lists. Ryan Helsley. He was at number 17 on mine. I completely Lane disagree Thomas. with you guys. <laughs> Henesis Cabrera. And that's it. Yeah. Three of those I do not agree with, T-Bone. But go ahead. I, to me, he's not on my list because his upside to me, granted, there's such a wide spectrum when looking at did his numbers. Did you watch 2019? I did watch 2019. What do you mean? His upside isn't very high. You did just hear his comments, I did right? hear most. He okay. had four homers and 12 RBIs in 30 at-bats. You heard Dan's That's call. That's just a guy being hot at the right time. No, da- so was Randy Arozarena. He got so hot was Jeremy at the right Hazelbaker. Jeremy Dan- Hazelbaker Jeremy? was hot, too. Was it not Jeremy? Jeremy. Jeremy. Close enough. You sounded Whatever. like Jeremy. Whatever. Anyways, I, to me, he's not important because I think, though if left field struggles, I think it's Tyler O'Neill's job. Right now, I think it's Tyler O'Neill's job. I don't know if you guys are the same way on that or not. I think he'll get the first shot at it. Okay. To me, that, but the ahead. upside for O'Neill is way bigger than what it is for Thomas on his impact on the lineup because O'Neill could be a 20 to 30 home run guy, I believe. If he can just cut down on the strikeouts and make contact, to me, Lane Thomas, not in the outfield then. And then Lane Thomas, to me, his upside is more of a contact hitter. I think he's maybe a 10 to 15 home run guy. Not so much. Not, I don't think he's going to hit 300 and have the what, the numbers he had in the 38 at-bats. I think he's about what the projections show, which is a 237 hitter, 11 homers, 34 RBIs. That's why I don't think his importance is that high on my list. How many home runs did he hit in 30 games? In 30 games back in 2019, Lane Thomas had four homers, 12 RBIs, and had a 1,100 OPS. Now, if I'm doing my math here correctly, 30 home or four homers in 30 games in 150 game season. 15 to 20. Yeah. 20 home runs. How many did you say Tyler O'Neill could be? O'Neill to me could be 20 to 30. Oh, okay. Just making sure. I, but to me, Thomas doesn't have that kind of pop going to be consistently. I think it's just one of those where he came up, people didn't know him, he got the pitches, and he made them pay. Maybe. Maybe that's the case. And maybe he got a late arriving power surge because in 2019 down in AAA, it wasn't like he was just, you know, soft contact all the wasn't time. Wasn't he better than Randy Arozarena? Yes. It, uh, well, com- comparable. In, yeah. In 75 games down in AAA in 2019, again, small sample size, I get it. 17 doubles, two triples, and 10 homers. He had a 460 slugging percentage down in AAA that year. That would play, man. I will take that in the lineup every single day of the week. And the reason why I view him as being so important, you're not going to have Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, and Dylan Carlson out, fair, out in the outfield every day. It's not going to happen. Just be I mean, some of those guys are going to need days off here and there. The guy that's going to get playing time behind them is Lane Thomas. So whether it is a platoon situation or if it is him going back and forth with Tyler O'Neill, that's not the only spot he's going to be playing. He'll get some time in right field. You'll see if Bader gets a day off, you'll see Carlson go to center and Lane out in right potentially. He's going to get a significant opportunity in 2021, and they need him to play well. Not only because they need somebody in the outfield to give him, give them a little bit of offense, but because they've got all in on this group. And whether it be O'Neal or Thomas or Carlson, Bader, whoever, 
they need one of uh, probably two of those guys to be able to step up offensively. And I think Lane Thomas is one of the most likely to do so earlier today. Mike Schilt was asked about this situation. Here's what he had to say about his outfielders and, you know, that splits idea. You know, the fact of the matter is we have um, created an opportunity and, and encouraged our players not to be overly splitty. So one of the things that guys are working on is, is making sure that they can be more consistent regardless of who's pitching, which allows them to be an everyday player. So we're encouraged what that looks like. I'm encouraged by the whole group of outfielders quite candidly. I think this is a, you know, you talk about production. We, we, um, I'm confident we'll get production out of our outfield that is, is consistent and something that'll, that'll lengthen our lineup in general. And um, I'm excited about the group. The Cardinals have made it very clear that they believe in Lane Thomas. We don't have to. Tanner, I get it. You don't think that he's going to be a guy that has significant upside. I, I, I really do actually think there is some some fairness in that statement. And I, I don't want to make it sound like I don't think there's a big upside for him. It's just I'm not you know me, guys. I said I wouldn't have signed Tatis to that 14 year deal because there's not a lot of sample. That's kind of how I am with Lane Thomas. You know, there's not a lot of sample. J- Justin Williams to me made my list very low because he is left handed. And I think that's what we're looking for is that left handed outfield bat. Thomas isn't left handed. He's right handed. And maybe he could platoon and hit uh, lefties. But and with Williams out of options, what it sounds like, I wouldn't be shocked if Thomas begins the year in Triple A. So to me, his importance went down on my list because he's not going to be up with the big league club. That's not saying he's not going to be there at all this season. That's just saying, if I'm thinking hindsight from opening day to the game 162, the less time you're with the club, the less your importance comes to me. Totally fair. I think where we're coming coming at this with differing viewpoints, I would be stunned if Lane Thomas starts in Triple A. I would too. Absolutely stunned. I think that. I mean, I, I I think it's more likely that Justin Williams gets DFA'd and he's not on the roster at all this year than it is that Lane Thomas doesn't start in the big leagues. So for me, I view him as being, I think out of the guys that they have in the outfield, the ones that I have the most confidence in hitting this year, like actually getting to the big leagues and making good on their promise. Dylan Carlson would be number one among these outfielders. I think Lane Thomas might be number two for me. I don't think he's going to fail. Now, he might not reach that upside of 300, 400, 500 as a slash line, but I think I feel pretty confident that he's going to be a quality big league hitter for them this year. And I don't think I can say that about Tyler O'Neill. I don't know where my confidence level is on him, but it's below where it's at with Lane Thomas being a solid, capable major leaguer every day. So if you could take the over under on his projections, which I kind of ran off quickly there, 237. Over. Over. 332 on base. Sounds about right, but I would take the over. And then 434 slugging, I think that's what that says there. I'd put it around there. Yeah, I, I think, think he's his, he's about a 760 OPS for me. A yeah. solid, capable major leaguer. I think his average will be a little bit higher, but yeah, all the other ones, the slugging and the OPS are right around where I expect him to yeah, be. Yeah, that seems about right to me. It may be a little lower in terms of his walk rate, mm-hmm. and he's going to be a contact player, and that's a guy that I can live with in my outfield. What you can't live with is strikeouts, hitting 220, and not reaching that power that we've talked so much about. It's going to take a little more than that for Tyler O'Neill, But Lane Thomas, I feel pretty confident at a minimum will be a solid, capable fourth outfielder for this team in 2021. And I know BT mentioned yesterday, you know, one guy that he could see jumping up on the list if we did this at the end of the season was Henesis Cabrera. Thomas could be that guy for me. He could yeah. jump easily into the top 15 top, maybe not top 10, but around 10 if he does perform better than those projections for me. 100%. He, this could be a guy that when we finish, if we did this same list at the end of the year, to your point, could be like 10th. 
yeah, on our a, list of the most important Cardinals to be able to make a run in the between playoffs. Between 10 and 12, I can see that being, I could see him taking over that spot from Tyler O'Neill and making O'Neill be dispensable to where Lane Thomas is an everyday outfielder. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, do you think that you could see Lane Thomas having a Steven Piscotty type of season if he gets enough at-bats? Now, let's go back to what Steven Piscotty was while he was here in St. Louis. His three-year averages in the three years that he was here, 270 batting average, 350 on base, 435 slugging percentage. So that ended up being a 785 OPS. I could see that. I think you could expect a little less than that. That that would be where my expectations would be set. The 270 awesome. batting average is pretty high. 350 on base percentage seemed real high. But around a 760, 770 OPS, if you're making a comparison, that's not a bad one to me. Especially if we're talking 22 home runs and 85 RBIs with 30 or yeah, 85 RBIs with 35 doubles. That'll play, and that will play really well. And if that's just a bench bat right now, I mean, think of the impact that that could be off of the bench because right now your bench is Andrew Kisner, offensively okay, Matt Carpenter, Edmundo Sosa, Lane Thomas. Like, that is your bench bat right now. That's huge. Yeah, I... I think he'll be less than the Pascal numbers. I think 250 is probably the average, 240 maybe. I see the on-base lower. I see the slugging lower, frankly. So I don't think he would be that. I think he would be less than what Piscotty is if he has enough at-bats. 65780 is the Comfort Service text line. (laughs) I think we have some disagreements on Lane Thomas. Uh, From the 618, guys, do you think that the Blues should bring back Mike Hoffman next season? Alex? No, it depends on the price. Uh, look, if you could get him for this again, yeah, but Mike Hoffman, I think, and I get you're still going to be going into an offseason with COVID and the impacts of salary cap staying the same. Somebody will pay Mike Hoffman 6 to $7 million to play for him. And frankly, for me, that's too much money for a guy who right now has been inconsistent. Maybe he buys into the system towards the end of the season and he is awesome, but... For me, I think Jaden Schwartz is more impactful. You gave the numbers earlier to this lineup than Mike Hoffman. So I would say I need Jaden Schwartz before I need Hoffman. So last year during the NFL season, I thought a few different times that if ever there was a negotiating tactic that an injured player could use, it would be Dak Prescott going to the Cowboys and showing them, hey, I'm pretty valuable because look at what the team became when I was not in your lineup. Mm -hmm. Jaden Schwartz to me, has that same case to be made to the Blues right now. And Mike Hoffman has the opposite of that case. Like, if you're looking at the wingers that the Blues could decide to re-sign at the end of the year, it's either Hoffman or Schwartz in a lot of respects. I don't know how you could possibly, given what we've seen in the last couple of weeks now, go with Hoffman over Jaden Schwartz. Can't. I think think what we've learned, 
Jaden Schwartz has to be back next season. Well, and the, he, he has to be re-signed by this and team. And the good news, BK, for the Blues is Jordan Cairo is playing about to the level that you expected Mike Hoffman to play at this season. I mean, he's given you goals. He's given you points. He's playing consistently. He's not a defensive liability. Frankly, Cairo is your Mike Hoffman and going to be very cheap Mike Hoffman next season. I'm with you guys. I don't think I would bring him back. Schwartz is more important. And let's not forget, too, you're going to have to lock up Bennington as well. So there's more money towards your cap. <laughs> Who's going to get paid after this season? Yeah, so there's more money going to the cap. I just don't see the room for Hoffman right now. And like you said, Alex, he's been too inconsistent. His last 10, he's been good. But before that, he was average at best, I would say. And I think so. that's learning the system. I think by the end of the season, we could be talking differently about a Mike Hoffman. But if I'm Mike Hoffman... I think I might want to go back to the Eastern Conference because the West might be a little bit more difficult than my play style. I was about to say, it's it's not even a shot against him, but just the way that he plays. Yeah. It's tough to get those shots off against these style of teams that he's going up against every night right now. Yep. And you can see the skill. It's there. It's oh, not God, as yeah. if he's not a talented player. It's just tough to be able to to get that production in this league. All right, last question before we get to Joey Vitale, our Blues analyst coming up on the other side from the 573. Guys, do you think that Arenado and Goldschmidt will both hit at least 30 home runs and have more than 100 RBIs? So 30 plus homers, 100 plus RBIs for Arenado and Goldie this year. You enter you out on that. I'm in on Arenado 100%. Like, I think that is going to be simple. Paul Goldschmidt for me, man, that's so tough. They're projecting 25 home runs and 71 RBIs for Goldschmidt. I really think that's low. I would say I'm out on that because I don't know if both are going to get to 100 RBIs. I could see the 30 home runs for both of them, but I don't know about those 100 RBIs because that comes down to who's hitting in front of them and how much they're going to be on base. Yeah, I'm with you. I could see Arnado getting to the... 30 homers, 100 RBIs. I don't know about Goldie because it's going to depend on if Carlson and Edmund get on in front of him. I'm pretty confident Goldie's going to get on in front of Arnado and Arnado can bring him home. I don't know about the two in front of Goldie. Totally agree with both of you. We can sweep this one. I just looked this up. The last time that the Cardinals had multiple players with 30 plus homers and 100 plus RBI was 2008. Mm -hmm. It goes back to Ryan Ludwig and Albert Pujols was the last time this has happened for them. In the last 20 years, there have only been three Cardinal seasons in which they had multiple players with 30 homers and 100 RBIs. It was always mentioned 2004 with the MV3. You had Pujols, Edmonds, and Roland that year. And then 2001, Pujols and Edmonds both did it. So I would say I would not see that coming this year. I think you'll get one of them. I think Arenado will be the first 30 homer, 100 RBI guy since Albert Pujols in 2010. I do not think you're going to get multiple of those, though. Coming up next, Joey Vitale, Blues Analyst for 101 ESPN. I want to hear from him. What? How would he assign the explanation, not excuse, explanation for the Blues' struggles of late? Is it exclusively based on the injuries, or is there something more to it? We'll talk to Joey Vitale coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. We're talking blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by the Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. All right, so 
the Blues last night didn't look like the team we expected, and there's obvious explanations, not excuses, explanations as to why. Right now, let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by our our favorite in the business. He's a Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Joey! Joey! He is Joey Vitale joining us here on the show. Joe, what's going on, man? How you doing today? And the crowd goes wild. I've always wanted to be. I always wanted to come out to that. Joey, you guys, you guys did Joey, it for me. Joey, Joey. I like that. I like that. I'm feeling good, boys. How you doing today? We're uh, well, not as good as you Sun's are, man. Out. It's a beautiful day here in St. Louis, but you know we could be doing better, Joey. We could be doing better if our Blues were playing. Uh, the way that we hoped that they would. And listen, I, I've said this all day, Joey. I think everybody is in agreement on this. It, it's obvious as to why this has gone the way that it has. They've, they're have they just banged up like crazy. They have so many injuries right now. Earlier today, we went through and kind of put a percentage, and I know this can be difficult, but put a percentage on what is to blame for this recent slide. I said 60% injuries, 30% some of your top guys just not being able to quite get to that next level, and then 10% just a lack of confidence. What, what do you think right now, Joey? How would you kind of put this into words of what's affected this team lately? Well, I think that the foundation of it all, the source of it all, I would, I would put is almost 100% injuries. Just because you, you talk about, BK, the, the top guys not being the top guys, the coaches being off their mark, maybe with some of the things they're doing. But all of that is a uh, trickle effect, is that drop in the water where the ripples start to break out. That's all an effect of the injuries. Mm-hmm. Take, for example, the top guys not being the top guys right now. David Perron, for example. Well, David Perron having to overextend himself, and there's a lot of pressure on him now to go out there and, and to be successful and to get points. Well, how is it any different? Well, now he's getting some really tough matchups in that Kopitar line last night, for example. But without any depth, without Schwartz, without Bozak, without your buddies next to you, you are getting these top matchups, which makes your job a lot harder. So instead of maybe Kopitar getting the Shen line every now and then or the Bozak line every now and then, uh, this top line of David Perron and Ryan O'Reilly, they're getting pretty much every top line's matchup right now, and all the pressure falls upon them to get points. So it's really all the trickle effect of not having depth, with not having a healthy unit right there, and it's no different than in football. I like to kind of relate things to football and baseball. I think it helps people here in St. Louis. But when you don't have a running game, it's going to put a lot of pressure on your quarterback. The defense knows it. The quarterback's going to be throwing so they can have their kind of scheme set up and the nickel and the dimes and everything kind of related to that so that the pass, of course, is going to come. So it makes the quarterback's job harder. So you can't blame the quarterback because the running game's not there. Well, you can't blame the running back because the offensive line isn't quite there because that's why the running game's not going. So really, when it comes down to it, to me, it's all about health. And right now, the Blues just do not have anything of it. It's funny. I got in the car last night. I turned on the ignition. It was a late one last night. And I swear to you, Bill Withers' song comes on. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. I was like, oh, my God, this is the perfect song for what's going on in St. Louis. Did you, did you drive home just in silent, somber, with just tears rolling down your face, Joey? No, I got over it pretty quickly. Oh, okay. At the end of the day, it's just a game. But I will say, if I ever went on American Idol, I tell my kids and my wife this all the time, if there was one song I'd sing, it'd probably be that one because I think I got a pretty good uh, deep register. I think I can hit that low D or E. or I'm not really good with oh, music. 
Well, it's, it's close enough, Joe. It's close enough. Let me ask you this then, because you're talking about kind of that impact with all of the injuries. And I, I made this comparison last night on the post game, and I told BK as well. If you look at the lines right now for the forward positions, it's kind of like a kid without his favorite toy or a dog without his favorite ball. Because when you look around, you know, your top six, you only have three guys that are there and have been there on a consistent basis. The other three are new guys and new faces in a new system. Is that part of the impact as well when it comes to that chemistry? Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny about dog bones. Like, so you give a dog a bone. It's true. And then he goes in the backyard, and what does he do? He, he buries it. Do you guys yeah. know why he buries it? Why does he bury it? Uh, because he doesn't want anybody to take it from him. Okay, so that's what a lot of people think, which is part of it, right? Because they're territorial animals. They want it just for themselves. Believe it or not, the funny thing about dog bones and why you see them burying it is because when you put it in the ground, it actually begins to ferment. It actually uh, starts to kind of break down into the soil, which makes it easier to digest in the dog system. That's actually the number one reason why. So there you go. Okay, tie this into hockey. Yeah, I was going to say, tie this into hockey because I'm really curious. Like, <laughs> so what was the question? Are you, are, you saying, are you saying to put one of the guys in the ground so that you can ferment them and make it easier to digest when they're not there? I don't think that's what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, it's got to be easy, okay. easier to digestible. No, that's, 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 that's not it at all. That's not it at all, but that's that's fine. Let me ask you another one then, because that question just completely went out the door like a dog bone being buried. What about the shot selection, Joe? Because if you look at it, the Blues, they're at the bottom of the league in terms of missed shots. They're at the top of the league in terms of shots on goal with teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs, with teams like the Colorado Avalanche. Do you feel like the shot selection is is good right now for the team? You know what, me personally, Alex, I, and I said this on the broadcast last night, there, there are a couple things I think the Blues have to look at as far as how they need to adjust their style. And this, this is one of them. Shots on goal is one of the areas where I think they need to take the old ways, which worked a couple years ago. And I think we kind of need to evolve a little bit. And what I mean by that is this. Back in 2019, when Craig Bruby took over, David Alexander does a terrific job with the Blues goaltenders. He's also kind of a, a shot scout where he kind of breaks down the opposing team's goaltender. But the thing, the thing for him was back in 2019, you have to uh, really kind of take your time with the shots. It's better, it's better to have, you know, let's say eight shots in a period versus, um, you know, 14 shots, rather have eight grade A chances or grade B chances than 14 grade A, B, C, and D chances. Cause all you're doing is you're kind of wasting shots. You're wasting an opportunity to get that grade A and you're giving the goal some confidence. You see, you saw how it can work when you have a healthy group. Now the blues are not healthy right now. So what they're doing is they're kind of having the same philosophy to me that it looks like where you're kind of hanging around on that outside. You're waiting for seams to open up. You're holding on to puck a little extra second, hoping for a great A or B to open up. And then what's happening is the pucks are getting turned over. They don't quite have the personnel right now to withstand that hold and withstand that push. And so that instead of just getting a great A or great B, they're actually just losing the puck. I think they could actually take a note from what L.A. did last night. Tom McClellan, the head coach for the L.A. Kings, when he was in San Jose at the Shark Tank, my God, I remember going to the Shark Tank. The, the Sharks would have like 40 shots on goal at the end of the first mm-hmm. period. It was insane, right? And that's, that's the kind of style that Tom McClellan used. You look at the goals last night. Anthony C from the outside, pretty harmless shot, throws at the cage. Yeah, Jordan Benjamin probably should have that back. He knows it. But then the other one, Dustin Brown from the outside. To me, that's not a very good shot if you don't put it off the pad. That's a wasted shot, but he does it with purpose. He puts it off that far pad, creates a nice little rebound, and you can see the benefit of throwing more rubber at the net. I think it's something the Blues can do a much better job of, but again, it's only going to work if you have the willingness and the bodies to get to the to get to the cage like Ayafalo did last night for those rebounds. So to me, as a collective effort, I think the Blues could do a much better job throwing just any kind of garbage at the net, throw pucks, throw bodies there, because right now when you're not scoring a lot of goals, 
to me, it's got to be simple. It's got to be throwing pucks there, getting bodies there, and hopefully turn this thing around. Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. Joey, we all agree that a lot of this is, again, going back to the health issue. The problem is, I don't know when they're going to get these guys back. I mean, we know it's going to be a while on Robert Thomas and Ivan Barbashev. We're not sure with this back thing with Pareko. Bozak, I, it seems to be up and down with him. Schwartz has been day-to-day for a while now. What do they do in the meantime? I mean, they, they still have to find a way to get through some of these games. Throwing pucks at net, I, that's one thing. What else can the Blues do to keep themselves afloat, especially over the next couple of weeks here where you've got this road trip out to California? Uh, BK, it, it's a good note. Uh, I think that a lot of coaches on the St. Louis Blues end are trying to sit there at their desk right now and try to figure out what the course of action is. And if you're asking me, I think an area that has to be emphasized over and over again and really worked on in the next couple of days as the Blues have some practice. I believe they're off today, but they'll be back at it tomorrow. To me, it's special teams. You have to get this power play going because you may not have the personnel from top to bottom, four lines and six defensemen and two goals. You may not have that. So five on five, listen, it may just not be working for a few weeks, right? We don't know when Jaden Schwartz is coming back, but he's not skating. Tyler Bowie's like, what's skating? But now he's not skating. To me, it looks like it's more trending to the opposite we have not good. Colton Franco, back spasms, this could be a long-term thing. This could be something he doesn't play the rest of the season. He could be back in a couple of weeks. I've seen, I've seen it go either way, right? You have Robert Thomas who's out. You have Ivan Barbership. A lot of buys, as you mentioned, are out. So five on five for at least the next three to four weeks, I, I would call it a complete scratch through the month of March. I don't think five on five you are going to have the personnel to really go deep and to win games five on five. So how are you going to win games? Well, two things. you got one of the best goaltenders in the National Hockey League, and Jordan Bennington. He's going to keep in every game. Make no mistake about it. Even last night's game, you were right there to the very end. The game before that against L.A., they weren't playing great through three periods. You're right there to the very end. All those San Jose games, you're right there to the end, even though you're not playing a great brand of hockey. Because, number one, you have a great goaltender, one of the best in the league. So use that. And if you can't get it done five on five, work, skate, draw penalties, and you have to put the dagger in when you're out there on the power play. So five on five personnel is not there, but guess what? The five, the five bodies you put out there in a power play, those are the guys you've had since the very beginning. You've had Ryan O'Reilly. You've had Hoffman. You got Krug. You got Shen. You got Sonny. You got, you know, the, the Falks and the Vince Dunn. All those guys, your power play guys, those are your guys that are still in the lineup. So to me, if, if I'm the head coach and if I'm looking for ways to win hockey games and scratch and claw just to grab any kind of point you can in the next three or four weeks, trust your goaltender. He's going to make the save. He's going to keep in the game and draw penalties. And when you get out in the power play, be more assertive, be more confident, be more direct, throw pucks at the net, and let that power play win you some games here in the next few weeks. Joe, uh, Craig said to you last night on the post game that, you know, hopefully you get some bodies back, meaning Nathan Walker and Dakota Joshua on this upcoming trip, guys who have been recalled from uh, from Utica. Is that all this Blues team needs, you think, offensively, to put the uh, little shrimp on the Barbie in that, uh, in that lineup uh, come this weekend? You know, maybe. I think some energy and some zip could be good. So keep an eye on Ethan Walker. When he came up last season, he had quite the impact. He was all over the ice. He actually had a goal. He could have had two. I think believe one got called back. Yeah. Something about maybe it was goaltender interference. But he's got some offensive upside, too. He's going to play with a lot of energy. He's uh, a well-liked kid. Everyone absolutely loves him in Utica. They loved him when he got called up last season. So, again, uh, at this time of the year, you look for these young kids that come in and get a fresh breath of air. Just 
just any kind of energy. You know, we've all been in the, we've all been in the dumps lately, right, over this past season and this past year, whether you're kind of you're, you're lounging around, you're a little slumping, you're a little sluggish, maybe a little depressed at times. And every now and then, what, what do you do? You go for a walk, you go to the store, maybe you run into somebody you know, an old acquaintance or old girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever. And then, of course, you run into them, you talk to them, and then you have a conversation with them. And then all of a sudden you leave, what, what do you do? You feel, you feel good. You feel good because you're feeding off the other guy's energy. And maybe, maybe that's what the Blues need right now, just a couple guys to come in there, a fresh breath of air, get the guys going to the locker room, get, get the speed on the, on the forecheck, get in the offensive zone, you know, hit, check, uh, get in a scrap, get in a fight, get beat up for all they care. Nathan Walker's not a big guy. Go, go challenge the biggest guy on the team. Who knows? Just something to kind of turn this thing around because right now not only do they need the bodies, but they definitely need the energy, Alex. Joey, I was in your neck of the woods recently. Have you ever been to a place called Nathaniel Reed Bakery? <laughs> Are you serious? Oh, you serious? I go there twice a week. Nathaniel's an amazing guy. He's one of the best pastry chefs. Get this. We are lucky in St. Louis. Nathaniel Reed is one of the best pastry chefs, not in St. Louis, not in this country, in the entire world. He's like world-renowned pastry chef, like uh, ridiculous croissants. His sandwiches are insane. The bread is good. What did you get? Tell me you got the Queen of Mons. So I got what I went with was I, I went with the tag team. Uh, we had the almond croissant and the chocolate almond croissant, and both of them, Joey, were unbelievable. Yeah, tag team back again. I feel you right there, BK. Next time you go in, do yourself a favor and indulge in the greatest thing, the greatest pastry dessert St. Louis has to offer and get the queen Amon. It's not spelled like the king and queen. It's spelled with like a K and then like a Haman. It looks like Kuna Haman. And it's always funny hearing people like pronounce it and then they always correct you. Oh, it's queen Amon. It's okay. What it is, it's basically 27 layers of croissant butter dough. Dough dough butter. 27 layers. Like a croissant. Pretty, pretty. Or or I should say croissant. Kind of the same way. But in every layer, they, they like spray on white granulated sugar and then they fold oh. and they spray on more sugar. And what happens is the heat of the oven, that 400 degree oven, it caramelizes that sugar and butter layer and it creates this crusty, oh my God, mountain of goodness. Everyone out there listening, do yourself the biggest favor. Go to Nathaniel Reed's, get a Queen Amon, but don't go before nine because I used to go to 845 because I don't want them to run out because they're my favorite treat in St. Louis. Joey, Good call there. Joey, I waited outside in like five-degree <laughs> temperatures for like an hour, and it was so worth it. It was incredible. Joe, have you had sugar this morning? <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm just high on life right now. You know, with all these kids, you got you to wake up. And That's you, my man. Listen, listen, either you get the day or the day is going to get you with, with this many kids. You know what I mean? So I'm trying to get up and have a – I've had about three or four cups of coffee, but I'm feeling good right now, guys. Joe, you will be my motivation as a new father come next week. I feel like Chris Farley from that SNL. Hey, how can we get back on the right track? You guys are probably too young to know to know that uh, know ex- that kid from SNL. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. On the plus side, Joey, I'm I am going to miss my anniversary dinner because Alex is out next week, so I'll be spending it with you. So looking forward to that, man. I'll talk with you soon, my friend. Oh, that's depressing. All right, PK. Hey, Alex, it's been good. It's been a lot of fun as always, boys. Have a great day. Get outside, enjoy the sun. It's beautiful. Get some vitamin D. You're the best, Joey. All the best, man. We'll talk to you soon. I love this, man. That is Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. If he doesn't get you excited and high on life, I don't know what you're doing because Joey is vitamin D. It's 1219. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, what in the world is going on in the NFL right now? Dak Prescott might be gone. Apparently, Russell Wilson, this is real. He actually might get traded. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. 
This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Even if they franchise tag him, I think they have to consider drafting a quarterback with the 10th overall pick. Uh, with quarterbacks available in this draft, uh, continuing uncertainty about Dak Prescott's long-term commitment, I think they would have to consider drafting a quarterback, even though that's not the way Jerry Jones has operated. I mean, he's only done that once, and that was the first year. 1989 drafted Troy Aikman, number one overall. It's not a philosophy that he's generally embraced, but it did produce three Super Bowl wins, the only ones that have taken place in Dallas since Jerry's owned the team. Okay, what the hell is going on? Genius work. That's what's going on. Yeah, did you hear those numbers? Impressive. Three Super Bowls when he drafted a quarterback. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And you know who's going to be sitting around that area? Justin Fields. Oh, maybe not. Maybe, but maybe not. Mac Jones. You have your quarterback. The Cowboys have nobody to blame for their situation other than themselves. They could have made this very easy and paid the guy that has been a, conservatively speaking, top 10 player at the position they decided not to do that they're going to go the franchise tag route and here they are now there was a former nfl agent who now writes for cbssports.com who projected it would require them to give dak prescott a three-year 125 million dollar deal to be able to get a contract done with him that's what dak's side is going to be looking for 40 plus million dollars per season is what he's going to want if you're the Cowboys, Ed Werder might be right. What you just heard from him, and that was on ESPN earlier today, that might actually be what they have to do, which means Dak Prescott, whether it be this offseason or next, very well may become available. Because if you're if you're in a situation where you're going to lose him for nothing and you're the Cowboys, you've got to get something in return for him, especially if you're going to be drafting a quarterback in this year's draft. This is so hard too for me because if you got Dak in the fr- in the franchise tag mode, you're also going off of a Dak that you don't know health wise where he's going to be. Whereas you can also hit that draft and find yourself a quarterback that might be able to help the team in the long run. Like if look if you, if you got him on a franchise t- franchise tag. That's pretty much going to be it. You got one year of Dak, and then you're moving mm-hmm. on. And right now, you are picking 10th, whereas there's this is an awesome quarterback draft where you could have an opportunity to draft a guy that could be here long term. So as much as we talk about Dak, and Dak should be talked about, because when healthy, he is one of the better quarterbacks in the league. If I'm the Cowboys, I'm looking at this draft going, I think I might find myself another quarterback to make this run with and start over. And that seems crazy to me, but I do get it given where they are today. We can't go back and change what they what they previously should have done. They should have gave Dak his money before they gave it to Ezekiel. Oh, I agree with that. We can all agree with that. Jalen Smith, he got paid before Dak Prescott. And Amari Cooper. They prioritized all of these other guys before the quarterback. They messed up there. But that's already done. That's that's handled. It's 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 over with. There's nothing more that we can do to change that. And so now in the here and now, their best course of action moving forward, in my opinion, is giving Dak what he's worth. But if you're unwilling to do that, and they might be, then yeah, you probably have to trade him and you probably have to take some of those dra- that draft capital that you get for Dak along with the number 10 overall pick. And you're not going to get your guy at 10. We know how this works. These quarterbacks get pushed up the board. They're going to go earlier than expected. You're probably going to have to move up to go get that guy. That's what it's going to require. 
but that might be their only course of action. And guys, they might not be the only team in the NFC that currently has a franchise quarterback that is in that exact type of a situation. I'm also on the side, too, of, look, I understand Dak is good when that team has him on the field, but he hasn't done anything with this. Like, he hasn't gotten this team anywhere near the expectations have been. So if I'm running this Dallas Cowboys organization which is Jerry Jones, which we all know is never a good thing. But if I'm running it, I think I might need to find myself a quarterback that can take that next step because Dak hasn't been able to do it with this I roster. Mean, he went 13-3 and three as a rookie. Yeah, but where did he go in postseason play? Well, yeah, but that's because the Cowboys stink. Like, we saw them this year without Dak out there on the field, and they were awful, god-awful. He's been really good. I mean, night 2019, 4,900 passing yards, 30 touchdowns, 11 picks. That's a franchise quarterback. That dude is somebody that I'm building around. But regardless of what we think about him, again, the Cowboys might not be the only team. I think we're seeing a trend right now in the NFL, and I'm frankly confused by it. Have you guys seen this story today in The Athletic about Russell Wilson and the the break that is happening right now between he and the Seahawks? Oh, jeez. This is insane. Apparently, there is a bit of a power struggle. Basically, Russell Wilson went to the Seahawks. He went to the front office and said this was right around the Super Bowl time, a little before then. Guys, I want to know what the plan is to fix this offensive line. Can you share with me, kind of similar to the talks that we had heard about with Deshaun Watson, what's their plan for the coach? Russell Wilson wanted to know the plan for the offensive line. And the Seahawks basically said, "Uh uh-uh, we're not sharing that stuff with you. You're the quarterback. You play. We'll figure out the offensive line. What? He stormed out of the the meeting. He was very unhappy. Then he went down to the Super Bowl and watched what happened with Tom Brady. And he watched what happened to Patrick Mahomes behind a bad offensive line. And he's like, that is exactly what I'm talking about. Tom Brady found himself in a bad situation, talent-wise, in New England, upgraded his talent by going down to Tampa Bay, and he was a driving force behind them winning the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes was not able to, to elevate over a bad offensive line in the Super Bowl. And Russ watched that, according to this article, and basically said, this is why I'm saying these things. This is why I need you to upgrade the offensive line. And now, again, according to this article, there is a real rift between the two sides, and it seems like it might not be something that gets fixed. This this really might happen. The Seahawks really might actually decide to trade Russell Wilson. Have people not learned that the quarterback is the most important thing? What am I missing here, Alex? I don't understand how you can get mad at your franchise quarterback when he comes in and asks, how are we upgrading an area to make this team a better team to win a Super Bowl? Like, how can you tell him that it's inexcusable that he came in and questioned the front office? He's your freaking quarterback. Like, he is your franchise. Without Russell Wilson... I don't know if Seattle's even discussed right now in the NFC West because all of the teams are better with Russell without Russell Wilson. So that makes zero sense to me. And frankly, if I am Russell Wilson, I'd want out because I don't want to play for a team that doesn't take me into consideration when it comes to upgrading this roster. The other thing, and this is later on in the story, says Russell kept pleading his case going so far as to offer his input on personnel decisions and sources said that Wilson and other team leaders have indeed in the past been consulted before the team made high profile acquisitions such as Jamal Adams, Shadevian Clowney, Jimmy Graham, etc. So this is something that they have done with Russell Wilson in the past and now he's asking you to do it again and for whatever reason he was basically cut off. So this is like if you allow your kids to get away with something, right? You're a parent 
and you allow your kid to do whatever, watch two hours of television a night. And then for whatever reason, like a month later, you're like, uh-uh, Jimmy, tonight it's one hour. Well, wait a second. It's always been two hours. What ha- What changed? And your, your kid's going to throw a tantrum, right? That's why Russell Wilson's throwing this tant- tantrum right now, because he's basically asking, like, why the sudden change? What happened here? We we were co-workers on this. We were we were peers, and now you're treating me as if I'm a lesser on something that directly impacts the way that I am able to perform on this team. I think previously I, I had been in the position that there's no way this happens. There's no way Russell Wilson gets traded because the Seahawks can't be that silly. They they, they this would be a ridiculous thing. I think it's a better than 50% chance at this point that Russell Wilson's going to get traded. There's just too much smoke here. Uh, eventually, I think we have to start seeing the fire. And guys, if there's a team that I think makes the most sense in the world, it's the Carolina Panthers. They have the draft capital. They have an owner that has been uber aggressive in trying to upgrade at the quarterback position. They have a decent offensive line. They'll need to upgrade there, but they absolutely have some weapons for him ready to go the moment that he walks through that door. And... Maybe not next season, but moving forward, they're in a very winnable division after Tom Brady decides to retire with the Falcons in a rebuild, New Orleans not having a quarterback whenever Drew Brees retires, and then Tampa, you would think, Tom Brady's eventually going to have to retire. I'm starting to think this is actually going to happen. I think Carolina makes the most sense as, as the landing spot for Russ. Russell Wilson for Dak Prescott, straight up. Who do you think would say no? I think there's a case to be made that both teams would be like, you know what? This is probably in our best interest. Part of me wonders if Dallas would say no because Russell's so expensive. Well, Dak's about to be more expensive than Russ. Wow. Yeah, that's Jerry Jones being an idiot. Absolutely. But if you look at it just like the here and now, I, I think Dak's going to be more expensive here very soon than Russell Wilson Unless is. they trade up from 10, they're not going to get a quarterback unless one of these guys like legitimately drops in this draft. So this would be the best option for both sides. I would think Dallas would say no because I think they're gonna if they're gonna move on from Prescott they're gonna draft a quarterback and not He's take cheap. on another veteran. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I, I can't believe that this is where we are. I think this is a sliding glass door moment. You remember the uh, the Drew Brees situation with Miami, right? Where he, he failed his physical. Miami decided to go with Dante Culpepper instead. At the time, it was Nick Saban that was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Drew Brees, go, Drew Brees goes to New Orleans, changes the face of that franchise. The course of history is is altered in that exact moment. This offseason is going to be another one of those where Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, we'll see what happens with all of these free agent quarterbacks, the trades that have happened, Matt Stafford already. This is one of those moments in the NFL where we're going to see the next decade of the NFL shift in a moment whenever these deals are ultimately made. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next... The Cardinals are showing some significant faith in Jack Flaherty this offseason. That's not a big surprise, but there was an announcement earlier today that we'll share with you coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. All right, so we were just talking about Russell Wilson, and literally as we went to break, Adam Schefter tweeted this. Russell Wilson has not demanded a trade, according to his agent. Wilson has told the Seahawks that he would like to play in Seattle. But if a trade were to be considered, he has a list of teams that he would be willing to play for. Those teams are the Cowboys, the Saints, the Raiders, and the Bears. He has a list of four teams that he would be willing to play for if, if... 
the Seahawks were willing to trade him. Cowboys, Saints, Raiders, and Bears. I guess, the Bears. I guess that's where Sierra told him that she wants to live. Yeah. Dallas, I mean, New Orleans, Vegas, or Chicago. Also, it seems relevant to me. Like, I get it. He has not demanded a trade publicly, and he has reaffirmed his interest in staying in Seattle. Okay, yeah, but he has a list of four teams that he'd be willing to play for. Like, team players that right. are 100, commi- uh, 100% committed to where they are currently playing yep. typically don't go down and say, you know, what about Carolina? No, I'm not a big fan of Charlotte. Uh, Denver, no. Altitude would get – like, you don't do that. Right. Alex, if you were if you were looking at uh, 101 as being the only place you ever wanted to work, and I think that is definitely the case for you, right? Ding. You're not looking at, you know, 7-10 out in Seattle. I think I would accept a job from them. I don't like I don't like rain. Sorry. What are we doing here? I don't understand. This is this to me seems very clear. Russell Wilson is absolutely asking for a trade and these are the four teams that the Seahawks should negotiate. You know what the with. best part of this too is like which one of these things is not like the other? What's his biggest gripe right now in in Seattle? What are the Bears doing on this list? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> Dallas, okay, healthy, that's an offensive line that's going to keep you upright. New Orleans, one of the better offensive it's, lines. It's America's team. You become a yep. star. Like he he has aspirations to do other things after his playing career. I get Vegas that. protection and you're in Vegas and John Gruden. And you John believe Gruden? he's an offensive mind. New Orleans. You've got right. Sean Payton, one of the greatest offensive minds the last Ch- 20 years. Chicago, you ain't winning anytime <laughs> soon. You're going to be on your ass probably the entire season. What are they doing on this list? But hey, we're going to Chicago. <laughs> Thanks, Sierra. <laughs> we, Appreciate it. This has to. There's got to be like a personal relationship. Oh yeah. Like he he's been boys with Matt Nagy, and we just didn't know about it for Khalil the last twenty Mack years. Has threatened him and told <laughs> yeah. him like, if you don't come here, I will tackle you. Or he's like, his mom is friends with somebody who's in the ticket office. Like, what's going on here? Alan Robinson told him, be like, hey man, I will stay if you come here. It's it, that is wild to me. And I mean, they do have a good defense, but if One his of big these complaint is, is not like the other, if his big complaint is that he's. Uh, He's getting beat to hell. The Bears seem like the last team that you would want to go to. So, again, if you missed that news from Adam Schefter, apparently Russell Wilson would love to stay in Seattle. But, you know, if not, here's the four teams that he would be willing to go to. Cowboys, Saints, Raiders, and the Bears. All right, let's get back into the Cardinals. Mike Schilt earlier today did actually give a real announcement for the Cardinals. Here's what he had to say. Jack Flaherty will not only be our starting pitcher on Sunday, but Jack will also be our opening day starter um, when we open up in Cincinnati. Frankly, I am shocked. <laughs> How was that not Carlos Martinez? Oh, that's who you thought it was going to be. No, come on now. Of course not. This makes all the sense in the world. This is the only way to go. It's not surprising. He's their very clear number one starter. I know last season was weird. It didn't go the way that Jack Flaherty would have wanted it to. Sometimes we look at the numbers on the the bottom line of what a season was, especially like the ERA. It was really one game that amounted to him having a, a pretty rough season. And Mike Schultz spoke to that as well on whether or not his confidence in Flaherty was shaken at all based on what happened last year. Yeah, I mean, I always had confidence in Jack. So, I mean, none of that waned during any of that period of time last year. Um, you know, there was an understanding. Uh, look, we don't want to lower our bars and our expectations of what we expect out of our, our guys. And they don't. And Jack really sets a bar higher than anybody for himself. So, um, but we are realistic about some of the challenges and obstacles that were faced last year and specific to Jack. And, um, you know, he was, you know, getting built back up and, 
You know, it's harder to, to compete um, when you're getting built up during a season, and that's what was taking place with Jack. Do you guys have any concerns about Jack Flaherty? Because i got to be honest. like I'm, I'm sure there are some in the audience right now that are listening to this, and they're like, man, I'm worried. I, I really don't have any concerns whatsoever about Jack Flaherty in 2021. I'm not worried about Jack Flaherty. I'm curious of what Jack Flaherty is. Is he a Cy Young pitcher or is he maybe a two starter in a rotation? I think he's an ace and I think we saw that that uh, half of the season in 2019. But in terms of innings and, and his availability this season, no, I'm not concerned at all. I'm looking at a guy who's going to be starting 30 games, pitching 180 plus innings and frankly being the best pitcher in this rotation. I'm with you. I, I don't have a lot of real big concerns with Flaherty. I do wonder if he is a ace and not so much a really good number two. So it'll be interesting to see. And I'm curious to see how they do handle him because I'm kind of at the stage where I'm like, you know what? I understand he's, you still got two years of team control, but let's just let him go out there and pitch. It sounds like he's fine with doing that. So let's let him go out and go maybe 180 innings this season. I understand it's going to be very difficult to judge uh, that because he only had, what was it, 40 innings, I believe, mm-hmm. last year. So I'm more curious to see how the Cardinals handle him, less worried about how he plays this season. Sure, I think that's fair. I think the volume stats are something that you could definitely uh, start looking at and be like, I wonder what that's going to look like. In terms of the efficiency, though, I'm not worried about that at all. I think he's going to be super effective for the Cardinals this upcoming year. And I think that they clearly, based on them announcing already that he's going to be the opening day starter, share that confidence Mm -hmm. in Jack Flaherty. The big question that we talk so much about in the offseason was not the top of the rotation, but rather the bottom of it. And if the Cardinals had an option for that, seems like the most likely candidate is Carlos Martinez. There is still one guy on the market, though. Jake Rizzi, surprisingly enough, has still not signed with anybody yet. And I was listening to Greg Amzinger earlier today on the morning show, and he mentioned that he would be a great fit for the Angels. At, at this point, guys... Do you still have interest in Jake Odorizzi? Do you think that he is a realistic option for the Cardinals, or has that ship for you sailed? That ship sailed for me because uh, from what we've seen a lot of these pitchers make in terms of contract and money, I just don't see the Cardinals dipping their toe into that. I think right now you want to see what you have with this roster. Um, We called it so much of a transition year, and it's not anymore. This is a contending season, but it's also transition into what this roster is going to look like next year. And I just I think Jake Odorizzi blocks a couple of potential pitchers that you're going to find out who they truly are in not only Carlos Martinez, but Alex Reyes, Ponce de Leon. We've gone through the names plenty. So, yeah, this ship has sailed for me. I think the ship has sailed, but I would still be interested if if you could get if his market does come down to one year. And I don't know, what would you say? Eight million? I, I wouldn't million? go any more than eight, to be honest. If he's will, if he's taking a one-year, eight ten million dollar contract, I would do that. I'm just gonna be very surprised if he takes that. I think he's looking for multi-year more than I anything. think so too. I agree, and I think he'll probably get it from someone like the Angels, who are in need desperate. of starting pitching and desperate. But Same yeah. with the Phillies. Yeah, Phillies, Phillies need to compete. Too. They're gonna pay money for somebody. I I don't. I think the ship has sailed. I do think the Cardinals are interested in seeing a what they have, and b they are confident in what they have. I I think they are confident in KK in the second year. I think they're confident Martinez bounce backs. I think they're confident with Michaelis returning from his injury. Am I as confident? No, but I think the Cardinals are, and I think I think the Cardinals are happy with what they have, and if they see it as a whole, I think they will go make a move at the trade deadline. Yeah, I just, I look at, so your, your starting five basically is out of options right now. You can't send them down to AAA. Gant, Miller, Webb, Ponce, all out of options going into the season. If you had another starter that is a guaranteed major league contract, that's 10 guys 
on your major league roster, barring injury, that cannot be sent down to the minors. You're basically working with, at most, three roster spots for your pin going into the year. So we also have to consider the roster crunch that they could be put into if they were to go out and sign a guy like um, Oda Rizzi. So I'd be interested in him. I think he would help the team. I think he makes you better, certainly. But when you look at what they have and what it would mean for them to sign him, I think it's probably for the best for us to say at this point, that ship has sailed and it's time to move on to who is going to be in that fifth spot. And that's Carlos Martinez with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're going to dive into the junk drawer, including something that I have seen so much about over the last two weeks. I need to get your guys' help. Help me understand what this is. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. I need some help from you guys, from our listening audience. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Dive into the junk drawer. Have you guys heard anything about this this new cryptocurrency video stuff? Bitcoin? Bitcoin, yeah. It's called NBA Top Shot. Have you guys heard of this? So it's a game? So basically, and I'm going to need the audience to help me out on this because I'm going to give my understanding of it, which is limited, very limited. Basically, it is it's digital highlights. So it's like a a, a big dunk from LeBron James in an individual game. There's like 2000 of them, right? It's kind of like it's a combination of highlights and sports cards, if you will. So you you purchase a pack and you get individual highlights. And then it's like a cryptocurrency in that it is exclusively available in your Top Shots account, right? It's all online. You don't get a physical copy of anything. This has blown up in recent days. There are now players that are getting involved. There's guys that are trying to get their individual moments. Here's the thing that I don't understand because I I kind of get it if there is a partnership between the NBA and this Top Shots thing. If you can exclusively find these highlights on Top Shot. I can understand how it would be valuable to own an individual's highlight, right? I get that completely. What I don't understand is why it is valuable to have this highlight on your Top Shot account when I can also just go on YouTube and watch that exact same thing. Where is the value of these coming from? Why are they worth anything? I am so confused right now. So basically, you purchase something like, like let's say Zion Williamson blocks a shot. Correct. You purchase this. That moment. That yes, moment. that highlight. It's like a 12-second clip that is available in on the site. You can. There's a secondary market, and there are packs, like trading yeah. cards, that you can buy. Okay. And if you get it in the pack, it is yours. Or you can you can sell it secondary on the secondary market, and I can buy it from you for like a thousand dollars or whatever. Okay, so then when does it cash out? When you find the clip, or when the clip happens? So the the clip is available. That's what you're buying. You're right? purchasing it, yes. And they're all they have serial numbers, so it would be like number five hundred and seven out of two thousand. So there's two thousand top shots 
of that highlight. God, right? I'm having flashbacks of Pokemon cards when I was eight years old, and it is wasting sure. so much money right now. The lower the serial number, the more valuable, apparently, that highlight is. I don't know why. I don't understand how that affects the value, but it affects it nonetheless. People are essentially saying that the selling point, from what I understand, is that this is like online art, right? Art in and of itself isn't inherently valuable, but because people want the art, that is where it gets its value. And so these highlights are receiving valuable value because people want them, but I don't understand why people want them. This to me <laughs> screams FOMO. This is fear of missing out from the Bitcoin thing that went huge and like somebody created this like this is a but great Bitcoin's idea like still exploding and again i don't understand that either but apparently it's a really good thing this to is be. this is why i'm broke and will be broke for the rest of my life because i don't understand anything about any of these and i'm not going to be purchasing a highlight of a nba moment yeah, I don't. I don't even know what the hell's happening. <laughs> T Bone's sitting over here just thinking, "What? The, who cares?" I'm really like, I I hope that the, so. There's somebody on the text line that is trying to explain this. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Okay, this is somebody from the six one eight that is explaining this as well as they possibly can. It's your typical playing cards, basically. However, it is digital moments instead of a card. A pack is rare. They have random pack drops. About five thousand are randomly selected out of millions of people. And you can also purchase a singular card and hope that the value goes up. I had a friend that recently purchased a Lomelo ball moment a few months ago. It just sold for $5,500. The value wow. comes from the amount of cards that there were launched. So in this case, there was only 500 or so of the exact cards. So it was very rare and thus the value. Makes no sense to me. From the 618, sounds like digital beanie babies. Waste of money. I agree. See, that's the thing. <laughs> I, I would agree, but it, it's actually happening. Like, the, these these moments are gaining value like crazy right now. I don't know if it's a bubble. Maybe this thing is gone two weeks from now. That's possible, I suppose. So the same thing about Bitcoin, though. Exactly. And so I think I'm just an idiot. Well, <laughs> if you're an idiot, I'm an idiot because I don't get any of this stuff. This sounds like a waste of time and money to me. I've been I've been reading so much about this. There's a story on ESPN.com about how these players are getting involved. And like there are a bunch of dudes around the league that want to buy their moments. And there are other guys that are like they're buying their moment and they'll post it on Twitter that they had just purchased it, purchased it. And then they'll sell it right away for like five times what they purchased it for because somebody thinks it's cool that they bought a moment from Zion Williamson or whatever, right? Again, I'm, this is why I'm broke because I'm dumb and I don't understand any of this. So this is 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Guys, the reason that it has value is because you're buying the intellectual properties to the media. It is similar to buying the rights to a song. So this is where I'm... Uh, Wait, I'm, almost, I'm almost there with you. I'm almost there. Not a the place that I'm struggling with is that you don't actually own the rights to this highlight. You own the rights to the top shot. That's my that's that's what I'm saying. Like you don't own the rights, so how is this legal? And then how are you selling it to make money off of something that's not yours? Because there's demand for it. But I don't the demand is what I don't understand. Understand why people want these and things. And how is the person that's purchasing it making any value off of it because it's not theirs? 
because there's demand for it. And again, that's the part that I'm confused by but because they- you're not actually buying the IP. You're buying a moment, but the highlight is still available for me and Tanner and Alex and everybody in our listening audience. You can still pull up YouTube right now and search for all of these highlights. They are available there. ESPN can show them on their uh, page. You're not getting any derivatives. You're not getting any sort of payout whenever this highlight is used elsewhere. You just own this small little thing on Top Shot. And so... I'm glad we had this talk, guys. No, I'm not really? because I'm more I'm confused. So confused. I want to yeah. punch a wall right now because I'm so confused. This is why I failed economics class. So the the supply and demand idea totally clicks for me. I get it. Like if there, whenever we were starting the pandemic, there were um, people that were buying up a bunch of toilet paper and selling it on the secondary market for a hundred times what it's actually worth, right? Same thing for- um, I get that one. For hand sanitizer. I get where the value is inherent in those things. I don't get that with this. I don't understand why there is demand, why people want to own these top shot moments. I'm still trying to figure out what the hell happened with GameStop a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) Watch the big short and then think of it as being the opposite. That's basically what this is over my head. I went to a Juco. I've only been I only went to college for two years. This sounds like a master's degree would. I got a master's degree and I'm still very confused as to what PK just spent the last 10 minutes on. (laughs) He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kylie. One thing we can all understand. The Cardinals shouldn't have traded Randy A. So what's it mean for Matthew Libertor and their current Cardinals outfielders? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I watched a lot of the postseason and I did watch Rosarena, you know, obviously coming from the race too. I wanted to see how they performed uh, in the postseason again. Um, I don't really feel like I ever, it ever crossed my mind like, oh, that's the guy I got traded for. I have expectations now that I have to live up to. Um, At the end of the day, like my competition is myself. So, you know, I wish him all the best. I want to see him go out there and have success. And when it comes to what I need to take care of, I'm looking in the mirror every day and competing against that guy. So um, I don't feel like there's any added pressure on me or added expectations because of the way that he performed. And at the end of the day, I'm happy that he did what he did in the postseason. So um, there's no grudges there or anything like that. That was Matthew Libertor. I'm not sure you could answer that question any better than he did. Sounded like a cardinal. He was asked yesterday, did you watch Randy Rosarena in the playoffs? Randy Carricker asked the question. And if so, you know, does that put any extra pressure on you to perform for the Cardinals? I don't think you can handle it any better than that. And he's going to continue to be asked that question. And it will be fair because I do think it is an open-ended question of whether or not he feels that because... Cardinals fans certainly do. We look at it and we're like, damn, how did the Cardinals let that guy go? That was Babe Ruth for the playoffs. And in return, they got this guy that is a left-handed pitcher that hopefully will help them in the future. I am curious, though, because yesterday I was listening to the fast lane. I thought Anthony Stalter had a great take on this. He kind of flipped this thing on its head where we all think of it as Matthew Libertor or Randy Arozarena. Here's what Rand, or, uh, Anthony Stalter had to say about who he thinks feels the pressure from that trade. I think from the Cardinals' standpoint, this is as much about Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader, too. But I think for the Cardinals, you you held on to Harrison Bader, you held on to Tyler O'Neill, you held on to Lane Thomas, and we don't know who the Rays were necessarily asking for. But the Cardinals did not protect a Rosarina. They didn't say, no, you can't have him. 
They obviously thought very highly of O'Neal and Bader and Lane Thomas. So I think this trade is as much from a Cardinals perspective, not from the fans' perspective, but as much about those two outfielders as anything else. What do you think? Who do you think should feel more? I guess you can ask this almost two ways, but let's let's look at this through the fan base's prism, right? Because that's that's kind of our listening audience right now. For the fans of this team, who do you think has more pressure on them this upcoming year and moving forward? The current Cardinals outfielders or Matthew Libertor, based on what we saw from Randy Rosarena? Who, who does it put the most pressure on? I think it's obvious, and I think Scalter makes a great point. It is the outfielders. I mean, you can't put pressure on a Matthew Libertor because he's a completely different position. Like, if you're expecting Matthew Libertor to go out there and compete with what Randy Rosarena did, which, again, I, I always go back to this, and I know Dan talks about it all the time, too. Let's alter the expectations, too, in comparing it to Randy Rosarena and see a full season out of this guy before we sit here and say this guy is the next Mike Trout in baseball. But it's hard to put those expectations on Matthew Levitore because, again, it's a different position. You can't compare the two. If I'm going anywhere with this and putting any pressure on anybody, it is the outfielders because Randy A. has been, had been, buried in the Cardinals' depth chart. He stayed in Memphis because he never got that shot. Guys around him got that shot. Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Lane Thomas. You could argue Dylan Carlson if you'd like to. So those are the ones for me. And frankly, if you're going to hone in on one, I think it does come down to Tyler O'Neill because Tyler O'Neill is that power hitter. Randy A was never going to be that power hitter in the Cardinals' eyes. So they decided to go that route and move on from Randy Arozarena. So I think Stoltz makes a great point. This has nothing to do with Matthew Levitore and everything to do with the outfielders. I'm with you. To me, it is on the outfielders because you traded away a guy, and again, it is a small sample size, but you traded away a guy that was super productive in the postseason on the biggest stage where it matters. And you look at the Cardinals outfield, and you haven't really had that guy in I don't even know how long. So I look at it and I say, yeah, the pressure's on the outfield. And you said it. I mean, Libertor's not an outfielder. Sure, if he struggles, will there be some criticism on him? Yeah, but I don't think the pressure's on him to come up here and be a Cy Young pitcher because Randy Arena was the Babe Ruth in the postseason. Hmm. No, it's on the outfield. You got rid of the log jam by moving him. Jose Martinez, and then Dexter Fowler this season. And I, I'm with you, Alex. I think it is on left fielders, Tyler O'Neill. I think it's on Tyler O'Neill, Justin Williams, and Lane Thomas. I don't think there's pressure on Harrison Bader because I think he is your center fielder going and forward. And he was never expected to be a big bat for exactly. you. Exactly. And I don't think there's pressure on Carlson yet because Carlson is always a top prospect. Top prospect, and this is only going to be his first full season. I think that's a great way to look at it. I really do. I, I think it's on T- Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas. Those are the two. Because as I look at the Cardinals lineup today, and if I if I switched out one of those two guys, swapped out one of those two guys for Randy A, think about this lineup that the Cardinals could have the next year, guys. Tommy Edmond, Dylan Carlson, Goldie Arenado DeYoung. That's what I'm already expecting it to be, that top five. Now put Randy Arena batting sixth for the Cardinals in that lineup. Yachty 7th, Bader 8th, and then your pitcher batting ninth. That is up there with the best lineups in baseball if what we saw from Randy Arozarena is even close to being real. Hell, you could even, if what we saw from Randy A was real, you could put him 2nd and Carlson 6th, or you could put him 2nd, Carlson batting leadoff, and now you've got Tommy Edmond batting 6th, and there's no pressure on Tommy Edmond to have that big offensive season again. It completely changes the complexion of your lineup in a similar way to adding 
Nolan Arenado. It's just that one more kind of big, explosive bat that can really, everything else can pivot around that. So I think you guys are absolutely correct. I think Anthony Stalter had a great take on this. I think it's less about Matthew Liberatore, although he is going to be important. But if we're kind of comparing the two, the pressure should absolutely be on those two outfielders, Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas, more so than Matthew Liberatore, based on what we saw last year from Randy Rosarena. Yeah, and I think they changed the outcome. I mean, you just mentioned the batting order with Randy A batting six. If that's Tyler O'Neill and if he could be anything competent to that, then that changes the lineup. If he's not, then guess what? You're going into next offseason saying we need a power consistent corner outfielder. Let's also, uh, going into this upcoming season, something that I'm going to be really interested in is how often we have texters that text in what Randy Rosarena is doing down in Tampa Bay. Because I think that will also be a direct reflection of the Cardinals outfield production. If the Cardinals outfielders are producing, I don't think we're going to get a whole lot of texts this year about, hey, Randy Rosarena is doing X, Y, or Z down in Tampa. If they're struggling and Randy Rosarena is successful down in Tampa once again, Every single day, every day that he's, he does something important down there, we are going to get some texts. We're going to get mic drops. We're going to have people tweeting at us that are saying, hey, if they just had this guy in the middle of their lineup, everything would be fixed. Because I think there's some truth to that. Can you just tie it to a Randy Rosarena, though? Because like I'm thinking back, and I remember maybe, what, five years ago, maybe a little longer than that, the outfield of the future was supposed to be Stephen Piscotty, Randall Gritchick, Tommy Pham. Can you tie those three into this conversation and say, hey, you moved on from those guys and you got these younger outfielders now, but you could have had your three outfielders then. Now, the Piscotti one's different because that was a good move by the Cardinals and the right thing to do. But the Gritchick and Tommy Pham one, I think you could turn to and say, you moved on from those guys. Those guys are supposed to be the future. The Pham one I will never understand. I will never be able to truly understand what happened there. People don't like it, but I think it came down to the clubhouse effect. That's what it essentially was. It's it's kind of the... um, and by the way, he's now on a legitimate winner out in San Diego. Right. So that, that's that's why I'm confused by it is like he went down to uh, Tampa Bay. They won. He went out to San Diego. They won. If he was a guy that was pre- preventing your clubhouse from being a winning culture. OK, uh, that happens. And you've got to get that guy out of a clubhouse. But I, I think you're right, Alex, for what it's worth. I'm agreeing with you. But I I think that's. That's why I have a really tough time understanding right. that And one. to the point that you just made, T-Bone, I mean, it goes back to what we talked about last week. You can all go back to what happened tragically to Oscar Tavares. I mean, that impacted all the way that it impacted the decisions when it came to the outfield. It impacted to where you got to by making the move for Jason Hayward and signing Dexter Fowler and moving on from Randall Gritchick. Stephen Piscotty's kind of his own anomaly because of his mom and what happened and making that a better situation for him. But they all kind of tie together to get you up to this point where you have your outfielders. It also dates back to that outfield that you're talking about, them not getting the production that they needed out of that, and more specifically, the power that they wanted out of that, and then them trading Marco Gonzalez for Tyler O'Neill. That's that's kind of, for me, the trade that I always go back to because that's a lefty arm that was cost-controlled and young that they didn't view as having a spot in that current rotation, which is fine and fair, They traded him away for a power-hitting outfielder who hasn't worked out thus far. Then they trade away a power-hitting outfielder in Randy Orozarena to get a lefty starting pitcher in Matthew Liberatore. So they already had a guy who has been a successful major league starter as a left-handed pitcher in Marco Gonzalez. 
and then they ended up trading away Randy Rosarena for a left-handed starting And then they traded a left-handed starting pitcher for Nolan Arenado. So you can tie all of this back to Marco Gonzalez leading to Nolan Arenado. Fair enough. And if that is how they want to tie it, I think we all sign up for getting getting Nolan Arenado. Tim Foyle halftime, boys. By the way. Can I pass along a little bit of exciting, uh, an exciting stat on Harrison Bader for you guys? Oh, here we go. Ten, ten-year, hundred-million-dollar contract extension. I'm ready for it. So this comes from Eno Saris over on the Athletic. I sent this yesterday to you. I loved it so much. According to Eno Saris, above-average barrel rates. Oh, talk to me more about barrel rates. Turned into excellent ones last year for Harrison Bader. And there's a chance he can improve that strikeout rate in the coming season as well, since aging curves show that strikeouts rate improve until around 26 or 27 years old. Harrison Bader could reasonably hit 250. Wait for it. With 25 homers and 15 stolen bases, and it wouldn't be all that far off from his current projections injected into my veins. Harrison Bader going to be a breakout player for the Cardinals in 2021, boys. I'm ready for it. T-Bone, you want to tell him or you want me to tell him? I'll let you do it. Okay, he can't hit righties. It's okay. We're going to get to 25 homers and 15 stolen bases. We're going to be batting 250, playing oh gold glove God. defense. We're going to get that extension after the year. What's his you sweet? guys don't have to buy in now, but when you come talking to me at the end of the year saying, hey, what would it cost to re-sign Harrison Bader? And I tell you a number that's going to be a little more than you're willing to pay, and you say that you're frustrated because you can't have him back. Just remember this conversation when they should have gotten it done now. PK, Keep that two, in mind. two years from now, um, I just ask you not to cry during Harrison Bader's eulogy here on BK and Ferrario. I'm doing that. That's not going to happen. Well, that's cute. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Bet it or forget it coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. is the Air Comfort Service text line for Bet It or Forget It. Let's start with this one coming out from the 314. Before we do this, actually, we we need to specify something. So Alex Ferrario in the last segment said that we would do a eulogy in two years for Harrison Bader. I want to be very clear. We do something on the show where we give eulogies for guys that are no longer on the Cardinals. It is... He wasn't saying that Harrison Bader is going yes. to pass in I'm the not, next couple I'm of not years. Threatening Harrison yeah, Bader's like life Reaper. here. Jeez. I feel like we need we had enough texts come in that I think we need to specify here. We've done multiple of these. Yes, that's true. We come did on it now. for Brad Miller. Um we did it for your boy. Ron Hell Ravello. Ron Hell Ravello. We will continue doing them right. for guys that we love whenever they my, my go bad. to another team. My bad, everyone. <laughs> I, I need to clarify next time I make that joke that people may have missed my eulogy that is a eulogy speech for a player that has now moved on from the cardinals not moved on in life alex was not killing no I, I i enjoy harrison bader he's a great human being i've had wonderful <laughs> conversations with him he is young he is healthy he's going to live a very healthy life 
This was meant as a eulogy towards his major league career with, with the, the Cardinals. Cardinals. Okay, so 65780 is the Air Comfort Service Yikes. tax line for better or forget it. Sticking on the guys that hadn't hit particularly well theme, Matt Carpenter, better or forget it, guys. He will have at least 300 at-bats in the 2021 season. Matt Carpenter, at least 300 at-bats for this upcoming season. I'd bet that because at some point, I know I'm going to sound crazy. He's going to hit some type of hot streak offensively, and you're going to ride the hot hand. I don't know if that means it's going to be at second base. I don't know if that means, you know, he's going to be a DH if there's a DH. But I see 300 at-bats. I mean, frankly, you got to imagine, in terms of just a pinch hitting in a full season, you're looking at at least 100 at-bats, right? Maybe more in a pinch hit roll? Ish. Injuries pile up. You're talking about more at-bats. I think a lot of this depends on Edmundo Sosa to me. Because defensively, it is such a downgrade to go from Sosa to Matt Carpenter, regardless of whether that's at second, third. Matt Carpenter ain't getting any opportunities at short. Playing without an infielder. Yeah, well, maybe not that bad. But if Edmundo Sosa is solid as a bat, I think he's probably going to see more starting opportunities than Carpenter will. If his bat doesn't play, though, you're going to have to get Matt Carpenter out there in those opportunities. Here's the so problem. I think a lot of it depends on that. Here's the problem, too. Edmundo Sosa can play multiple positions. Carpenter can play two for you. Second base, third base. I mean, you could put him at first base, but I don't know if I'm uncomfortable with that's what that. the Nogfather's for. That's true. That's exactly what the Nogfather's for. So if there's only two positions, one of those positions, I can already tell you, there's going to be a guy playing there for about 150 games this season. Uh, you got one spot, Matt, so your bat's going to have to really play. I'm going to forget it. I, d- I don't think he gets to 300. I'm not even, I'm becoming more convinced he may not even finish the year with the Cardinals because the longer this year goes on, the less valuable that contract is, especially because there's the vested option. And if he doesn't reach, I think it's like 600 plate appearances. He's not getting it. He's not going to get that this year. So if Sosa plays well and Nagowski's playing well, do you really need Matt Carpenter off the bench? The answer is no. So lefty bat I would like to have. Justin Williams, maybe. I, I would. I'll forget. It. I don't. Is that what we're playing? Yeah, I'll forget it. I don't think. I don't think he gets three hundred. I think I'm going to forget it as well. I don't think Matt Carpenter gets the three hundred at bats this season. But that is. That's me being a little higher on Edmundo Sosa and believing that he can be a capable utility infielder, and also a little lower in the fact that I just. I don't have a belief that Matt Carpenter is going to suddenly rem- start hitting again. So if, if I'm wrong on those two things, which has happened before and will happen again, he could absolutely get there. But I'm going to go ahead and take the under on this. I'll forget it. I don't think he gets to at least 300 at-bats. All right, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, better to forget it. The Cardinals starting outfield going into the playoffs will be Lane Thomas, Harrison Bader, and Dylan Carlson. Lane Thomas, Harrison Bader, and Dylan Carlson will be their outfields going into the playoffs. Bet it or forget it. I will say, I'll say forget it. I think it's going to be Tyler O'Neill. I know everyone's down on, I, I think Tyler O'Neill is going to have the confidence this season now that he doesn't have to be the savior. He can just be Tyler O'Neill. Um, I like Lane Thomas, and I know you know we had him both on our top 20 list in terms of impact and expect good things from him. I just don't know if we're talking about a guy who's an everyday outfielder for you over Tyler O'Neill. So I'll say forget it. I'm going to forget it too. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, not, not extremely high on Lane Thomas. I think O'Neill does have a good year. I said that last year, though, so that may come back to bite me. If he can, if he can cut down on the strikeouts 
and just continue to if he hits 220 and can hit 20 to 30 home runs that's what you'll take as a good six hitter or yeah sixth hitter so i will say tyler uh, tyler o'neill is the starting left fielder not lane thomas what are the most likely spots for the cardinals to upgrade at the deadline in your guys' opinion rotation bullpen really lefty off the bat or left lefty off the bench I would say the one place that is the easiest to upgrade for this team, if things don't go as expected, would be a corner outfield spot. Easiest in terms of getting something and not having there's to pay a lot? always power hitters that are in the corner that might not be great defenders, but there's always corner outfielders available at the deadline. Every year we see it. And they're available for relatively cheap because there are so many of them out there. And this year you have so many teams that aren't competing but I think there's going to be even more than normal where teams are just trying to sell off pieces at the deadline. I'm going to forget it because I think the starting left fielder going into the playoffs will be somebody that's not currently on the team. See, I think they would add to the rotation first rather than I think they would try to go out and get a solid number two. If that's, they need to get someone, though. I know, but I think it would be more important than having a left fielder, because if I'm looking at the lineup, if I'm I think we're all thinking the same lineup right now, I can handle the mediocrity of Tyler O'Neill because of his pop hitting sixth or seventh, if you want to put Yachty ahead of him. But then I have Bader who's This is eighth. a bet against Tyler O'Neill. Me saying this is basically me saying I don't think Tyler O'Neill is going to have the consistency that you would need. And also against okay. Lane Thomas, though. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think it would it would basically... It's me saying I think Lane Thomas is going to be pretty average. Tyler, Tyler O'Neill a little below average. And you need somebody that's going to give you above average offense batting sixth. But I think your offense. Well, for going by that, I think Yachty could be that at six um, above average offensively. Oh, sorry. No, I thought you said below average. Uh, yeah. OK, I could see. But I still think Yachty could be a sixth hitter. Then I, I could see him sliding in behind Paul DeYoung. I I look at it and I say I can handle having two spots in my batting order that I can go. You know, it's a big gamble. I'm either going to get it all or I'm going to get nothing out of them. So I'm okay with that. That's why I would add to the rotation at the deadline and get a number two starter. I could see it. I think it's a lot more difficult, though, than it sounds to be able to acquire that guy. I agree. Meanwhile, I think like knowing what most track record is at the trade deadline, it's typically a, a little piece that he thinks could make a pretty significant difference, right? He'll, he'll go get that reliever that he thinks could put them over the top. He made what well, was a bigger move, though, for John Lackey, but that was more of a back end of the rotation, right? And that was cleaning up a locker room as well. Absolutely. He needed that. What I think they called it the rusty nail mm-hmm. in the locker room. Um, I I think you could f- corner outfielder for relatively cheap, cheap that in terms of a marginal upgrade over who you currently have would would make a bigger difference than acquiring a middle of the rotation type of a starter. I think you've got a lot of those guys. And by that point, you might have some of these young guys that are ready to go in your big league rotation as well that give you a little bit more upside. So I, I think that that's what I would go. I'll forget this. I don't think it's going to be Lane Thomas, uh, Harrison Bader, and Dylan Carlson. I think you're going to have somebody outside of the organization uh, that is starting in left field but come the playoffs. Let me ask you, heading into the deadline, assuming you are ahead in the NL Central and you know you're going to get or have a pretty good feeling you're getting into the playoffs, are you making this trade to beat the tier two teams or are you making this trade to give yourself a better shot at the Dodgers because if I think if it's you're giving yourself a better shot against the Dodgers it's a pitcher not so much the offense because I don't know if you can hang with them offensively but you can try to shut them down with your defense and your pitching I'm not trying to compete with the Dodgers right now frankly I on paper I don't think you can I think doing so is a 
unbelievably difficult task. Yeah, you're the, giving yourself an upper hand over the Braves, the Nationals, the Phillies, the Mets, the other teams that are that second Allow tier. Allow me to position myself to best be the team that is competing against the Dodgers in the NLCS. How do I do that? And I think the best way to do that is by, and again, this is based on the cost that it would take to acquire them as well. A number two starter is unbelievably expensive at the deadline. And there are very, very few that are actually available. So that's where like supply and demand, we talked about that a little earlier. I'm going with the supply and demand argument of the You talked about earlier. You confused us earlier. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right, last one here. 65780 is the air comfort service tax slide for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it, guys. Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson will be wearing a new uniform by the start of next season. Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson both wearing a new uniform by the start of the 2021 NFL season. I think that one's easy. I Forget it. I don't see Wilson out of Seattle. I still think they figure a way to figure this out. That's who you're forgetting it on? Wilson? Yeah. I've, see, no, I'd forget it on Prescott. Wilson oh. literally just told the ownership, hey, I don't <laughs> want to be traded, but, you know, here's my list. R- Wilson, I think, is gone. Dak's the one that's hard for me because if you're going to franchise tag him, you mean you're going to give it one more year, which means you're not going to draft somebody as a quarterback in that 10 spot, which means you really don't have any other options. So he's hard for me to decipher unless you're going Dak for Russell Wilson, which then I might bet it. So Albert Breer has tweeted. He is a sports illustrated NFL reporter. As Adam Schefter has said, there are only four teams that Russell Russell Wilson's camp has told the Seahawks he'd waive his no trade clause for. They are the Cowboys, the Raiders, the Saints, and the Bears. The Bears. The Bears. Do they trade him now? Albert Breer does not think so, but this is as public as the Seahawks Wilson issues have have gotten. It's interesting. I think I'm going to say forget it. I think Russell Wilson is back with the Seahawks come opening. Nah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm wavering on this. Bet it. It's going to be Dak for what Russell. The hell? I, I don't think these guys are back. I think we're starting to learn more and more that these quarterbacks are just, when they see a bad situation, they're ready to go. Yep. Tom Brady showed them the light. When, when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers became available and they had all of this, this talent around him, he went there and he won a Super Bowl as a result. Now we're seeing Deshaun Watson forcing his way out of Houston. It seems like Russell Wilson's trying to do the same thing in Seattle. I'm gonna I'm gonna bet it. Screw it. I'm gonna bet it. I think they're both wearing a new uniform Yolo. by opening day. <laughs> yeah. YOLO. I'm letting it all ride. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next. How you feeling right now, Blues fans? How you feeling about this team? How you feeling about the struggles? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service Tax Line and the Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. Let it all out. Let's hear your vent session coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. It's a rut. It's it's a big rut. And when if you do get some guys back, then perhaps you can pull yourself out of it. But look, uh, this, this, these power play problems predate the injuries. That's been an issue. Uh, you know, do you have a backup goaltender who can win you some games down the stretch? I think that still remains an issue. So to me, I still like the Blues as a team. And I think, you know, when we see the real Blues, uh, I think they can be in that top three, Randy. But with what they've been going through uh, and with us not knowing when some of these key guys are going to come back, uh, Pareko, Schwartz, 
I do think that uh, you look at this now and then you start to wonder. And that was Jeremy Rutherford on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today. If you missed anything on their show, check it out. The podcast page is brought to you by I Promise. I am curious for our audience. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Where are you at on the Blues right now? Because JR still in on them, but obviously the injuries are a problem. That's kind of where I'm at. I do think there is more to it than just the injuries. The Blues, they have some guys that aren't playing to their capabilities, in my opinion. But obviously, the the majority of the problem right now, if you're breaking it down into a pie chart, like 65%, 60% for me would be due to the injuries. Where are you at on them right now, Alex? What, what is the majority of the problem for, in your opinion? You know, I'm closer to what Joe Vitale told us earlier on the show, closer to 100% on the injuries. I don't know if I would put it all on the injuries because you still do have a lot of your high-paid players on this roster, Falk, Krug, O'Reilly, Perron, Hoffman, Shen. But it's it's too hard for me to sit here and say that this team is not a playoff contender when they don't have the pieces that they should to be a playoff contender. Now, you don't have these guys until the middle of end of March, so you still have a lot of games to play without these players. Um, but I'm not out on this team yet in terms of them being a bust this season. Will they make the playoffs? I don't know. That's in threat right now because if you look in the Honda West division, Vegas, who's played four games less than the Blues, are up a point. That's kind of a wash in itself. L.A. just swept. You were on a six-game win streak. They've won six of their last ten games. They're two games in a hand and one point behind you. Same can be said for Arizona, who's won two in a row. Minnesota has won four in a, in a row. Colorado's lost two in a row, and they're still two, three points behind you with four games in hand. There is a legitimate shot that you could miss the playoffs because you got to be a top four in this division. If it's point percentage, well, you're kind of in trouble you're there. You're sixth right now there. Yeah. And then on top of it, you have those games at hands when it comes to points. So you're basically essentially going to be playing Colorado, Vegas, and Minnesota for the final month and a half of the season, which means you're going to have to play a better than 500 hockey if you want to make the playoffs. But hopefully you'll have five, six of these nine guys that are out of the lineup and you can say that that's your full roster. It's just not going to be an easy kill to climb. Yeah, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This is a really good text from the 314. Guys, the Blues are making me real nervous right now. Once you make the playoffs, anything can happen. But you have to get there first. Let's take you back to uh, a year that I like to call 2019. Oh, is this your pump-up speech? The Blues were in last place. Oh, this is his pump-up speech. We're literally the worst team in the league. They fired their coach. They bring in some guy by the name of Craig Berube. They have a new goaltender by the name of Jordan Bennington, and then they ride that all the way to the Stanley Cup. They hoist the cup for the first time in franchise history. It was miraculous. You should watch a movie about it someday. There is a movie about it, I thought. The problem is that team had 80-plus games to be able to have as a runway. That team had the amount of time that was required to be able to get things back on track. That's one thing that I'm starting to get nervous about here, Alex. As we get into mid, late March, there's only so many games that are going to be remaining when this team is actually healthy. And so you've got to be able to stay afloat. You've got to be able to find a way to tread water right now while these guys are out. So that way, when they return and you do have that healthy roster that we're talking about that I still believe in. When this team is at full strength, I still think they can be one of, if not the best team in this conference. You've got to be in a spot where you can strike 
at the end of the season because if they make the playoffs, you know that cliche thing that we do, which team do you most not want to play in the playoffs? Mm -hmm. The Blues will be that team. If they're healthy, they will be the team that you're watching ESPN and Barry Melrose. They ask him, hey, who's the hot team that could make a little bit of a run here in the playoffs? He's going to say it's the St. Louis Blues. They won the cup two years ago. They've got their guys back. They're healthy. That's the team that nobody wants to see in the playoffs. But you got to get there. And that's where it's getting difficult now to be able to foresee what these next two weeks look like, three weeks look like while they're without those guys. They need the power play to step up because that's the way that they're going to be able to overcome. Look, after this after this road trip, you're going to be basically midway through the season. You'll have played 26 games, two away from the exact halfway point of this season. Um, and my assumption is unless we find out that Schwartz and Pareko start skating, you're still going to be without those guys for those six games. So you're not going to have the amount of time that you had before. Now, remember, in January... Yes, you played up to January, but it was bad up till January. And then you had basically from January to March, essentially April, to put things back in place. So you can do it in a short amount of time. The problem is you're doing that in a short amount of time with a lot of games to be played. I was about to say, that's the thing. You You had four months of runway. Right. You don't have those times off. But the more players you get back, the less load that a lot of those guys have to carry on their shoulders uh, that they've been going with at this point. So it's possible to get there. It all comes down to confidence. And BK, I will never forget that press conference sitting in it in 2018 when Craig Berube took over as head coach and a man of very little words, as we know very well. And I believe he's on the fast lane later today, so that'll be good. Mm -hmm. Um, But the first thing out of his mouth was, we have to get these guys to understand that they are good hockey players. We have to make sure that these guys have the confidence to go out there and perform as an NHL team. It took some time. From November, when he took over, until January, when they started a run, they still were losing. But they were losing in games that you felt like, okay, well, they're showing signs of success. And then once that win streak hit, that's where the confidence came up. I think this team really needs one of those games. They need one of those games where it's a 0-0 hockey game going into the final five minutes of the third period. They're out shooting the opponent. They're out playing the opponent, but they're not getting anything from it. Remember that game against Tampa Bay, BK, that started that win streak? Mm -hmm. It went into overtime. Tampa was the best team. Andre Vasilevsky, Braden Shen scores an overtime goal. Boom, we're talking about an 11-game win streak. They need one of those games. They need one of those games that they shouldn't win, but they do win to tell those guys, hey, this is a good team right now. You got to find a way to get this confidence up for the you know Blues. It's frustrating. They what? had it. They had that win. It was against the Sharks. It was three to two in overtime. They got that late that late goal that went their way, and they were able to get it. And they've lost their last three games since that. That's that's the frustrating part. Is like I think that was the game. That was where they could have got their confidence back. They had won three out of four at that point. They turned things around against the Coyotes. They were able to win two out of three in overtime. And since then, they've lost three straight because of the health. Because of the health and because I think that confidence is shook. Because you go to that next game, what happens? Lose 5-4. You you play very good, but you you don't get the bounces your way. And on top of it, that's the game you lost Carl Gunnarsson in. The more injuries that pile up, the more heads dip, I think, on this team. And it's confidence and it's injuries. With Alex Ferrari and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kiley, we're getting yelled at by Jamie Rivers. We'll cross things over coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now 
for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We have a big update on NBA Top Shot. Again with this? Oh, great. Jamie. Last one for you guys for today. Jamie, ready to be confused for the next eight minutes? No, no, no. This will go quick. I'm already over it. <laughs> so the NBA Top Shot, which again, we don't understand why they're valuable or how they have value. It's like They're postponing their premium pack drop indefinitely, boys. Oh. Big news today. So they found out it was illegal. What? Did Robin Hood shut them down? <gasps> Game stop. No. They have apparently seen issues with botting activity over the last 60 minutes, and they want to be responsible about their drop. Oh, so it's illegal. Okay. Oh, boy. Hey, when that happens. <laughs> Crossing things over Damn with the fast bots. lane. We've got Jamie Rivers <laughs> in studio. Responsibilities. Jamie, yes, you guys have Chief coming up today, right? He's going to be a fun. Should be fun. It's kind of like when I was a kid and I pet a porcupine. <laughs> he went, Thought, hold, hold on. on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he looked like he was a real friendly guy. Came all the way over and was like, hi, pet me. I was like, go cute porcupine. Ow! Do you go top pet on porcupine or do you go, Don't go the wrong stomach? Way. It was more of a what, front to back or back to front? <laughs> what are the things that you want? I'm just going to leave that set. <laughs> Sorry. What are a couple of the things that you would like to hear from Craig Burby today? Uh, like, one, what are the questions you want to know? Uh, Chief, do you still like me? Okay, that's, that's a good no, answer. That's, that's a good no. question. Chief, do you want to reach through the telephone and strangle me for asking you these questions? That's yes. a yes. Yeah, so after that, we'll see if I'm still alive, okay. and we'll go from there. No, I think that, for me, the obvious questions, eh, here's the thing, guys. There isn't an answer. Yeah. Your answer is on the IR. And I, Craig Berube is such a stand-up guy that I already know what the answer is going to be. Next man up. Next man up. We got, battle through it. got a job to do. Uh, whoever's in the lineup has to do the job. There They're it is. professionals. Yep. He's, he's 100% correct. But the Craig Berube that would sit maybe, I don't know, at the bar or in your man cave and have a few beers with you would tell you, I'm, I'm trying to squeeze the sponge for all it's worth right now, but there's nothing in there. Yeah, and yep. we're missing some of the biggest pieces to our team and when we're trying to plow through it, but it is what it is. I have AHL players that would have been on the AHL roster that are playing top nine minutes for me right now, playing penalty kill, power play, five on five. You can't make magic out of that, you know? The offense to me looks like in NFL, like the Cowboys, for instance. The Cowboys were awesome the first, whatever, four or five weeks of the season this year, right? Dak Prescott looked unbelievable and that offense looked unstoppable at times. Then Dak is out of the offense. He goes down, he gets hurt, and the offense doesn't look like it's functional. Everybody else was basically the same. The receivers were out there. The running back was the yeah. same. The offensive line got held, got a little hurt down the stretch. But you, you're you missing that, that thing that stirs the drink. Now, it's different because with the Blues, it's like 20 guys. And with the Cowboys, it was the one. But it almost looks like that. And that I don't even know how to evaluate things properly right now because there is so much that is missing from the ice. It's it's almost yeah. hard for me to watch it and be like, X, Y, and Z is what you can fix because I don't even know what X, Y, and Z would be right now. The problem is you have to change your your mindset right now as the Blues and your puck possession, quality over quantity, those things that you used to do before, you can't do it. 
because you don't have the guys that are going to make the other team pay with the quality of shot. You have three or four guys, and it's evident. You go through the numbers, and you can see who Craig Bruby's leaning on, and you can see who's producing and who. Their only hope to score goals is like four guys, right? So yep. after that, you don't have the personnel to support the way you'd like to play. You have to simplify it. And by simplifying it is you need to get bodies to that front of that net and cause chaos and fire the pucks from bad angles. You're going to have to do stuff that you've been told not to do. Yeah. Is funnel pucks to the net, but you got to get guys in front of the net willing to pay the price. Looking forward to hearing more of that. Craig Berube coming up today. What time for, for Chief? Uh, he's coming in swinging at 2.15. <laughs> Looking forward to that. That's coming up from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I promise. This is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer. He hears things differently to the untrained ear. Everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.